This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that surprisingly found things to talk about uh, and do during the international break. Uh, now, with uh, next Saturday's crunch match against Spurs looming, uh, we hope that Chelsea players have managed to avoid injury and can now focus on the important things in a footballer's life, like beating Spurs. Now, while the season has gone well so far, in fact, better than most of us expected, the one requirement of any Chelsea team and manager is not to lose to Spurs. And given the pause in the Premier League schedule, we feel it is also a good time to pause and reflect on Chelsea's start to the season under new manager Sarri. Is it really a case of so far, so good? The Chelsea fancast number 441, so far, so good. Now, uh, on the uh, show tonight, as ever, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Lovely to be here with such eminent guests, as always. Thank you. Oh, round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I, I don't deserve it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, lovely to Hello. meet you, too. I mean, we, we, have, we had fun on Friday night, didn't we? Well, old Mr. Well, Barnett, was brilliant. Uh, JK. Was brilliant. Completely yeah, brilliant. You make yeah. makes you suddenly feel inadequate. The amount of knowledge he has, rightly so. I said to him afterwards. I said, "Spine, you were completely brilliant." And he said, "Well, it's what I do." He said, <laughs> "I know, not not an ounce of humility yeah, okay, in the man whatsoever." But, right. Okay. No, no. Uh, well, but I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant. He meant that he was a professional. He meant it like that, you know. So. Hmm. Right, okay, we got Dan Silver in the house, and we got Clayton in the house as well. How are you both? Good, it's good to be back. Yeah, ditto. Nice yeah. to be back with uh, such esteemed company, as John said. Right, 
On the show tonight, uh, we will be pondering, because we like to ponder, but we're going to be pondering whether Chelsea and Sarri's start of the season has been a case of so far so good. Who has impressed? Who hasn't? What are the critical success factors to ensure a successful season? And with Gary Cahill looking certain to leave in January, will there be any other departures and arrivals? And what would be the measure of success this season? Now, in part two... Well, 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 this is going to be fun. In fact, actually, in part two and three, we have the full interview recorded with Neil Smithy-Smith a couple of weeks ago about his book, The A to Z of Chelsea. Where were you when we were shocking? Uh, and Now, Neil's book covers his reminiscences of 23 Chelsea away games from 1974 to 1995, uh, taken from his personal diaries. Uh, the days when Chelsea were often, and they were actually indeed shocking. Now, evocative and heartfelt, funny and honest, from defeat at Queen's Park Rangers to defeat at Zaragoza via Tottenham, York, Fulham, York, Everton. A 6-0 defeat at Rotherham and many, many more. Neil tells what it was like to travel to away games 30 to 40 years ago when heavy police escorts were the norm and real ingenuity was needed to get a pre-match pint, which, of course, as we all know, is the most important part of the day. Now, in part four, uh, we've got a couple of emails for Jonathan to read, and we're going to look at the uh, the Americanization of Chelsea. Now, don't, don't panic, all of our American listeners. Uh, this is not uh, actually aimed at you at all. We love you all to a fault but uh, I think there are things that are, are happening in football and the modern game which reminds me of what a, a chat that I had with my dad some 30 years ago when he went to see the Washington Redskins play and he came back absolutely hating it and it's basically the commercialization of it and you know basically the contempt which real supporters you know feel that the game has for them so it's not aimed at you but I think it's it's an interesting point anyway finally we're going to give a a quick tribute to uh, Joe Cole, of course, who retired last week. And, of course, we have our usual Chelsea specials. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And, of course, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast during the show and tell us what you think about the games and anything Chelsea-related. And it's lovely to see so many of you in here, considering how long you've had to bloody well wait for us to turn up but as I said kind of slightly out of our control really but I'm, I'm, I apologise for that but anyway nice to see Nick Leonardson, Ozzy signed my broken leg Matt Kalita Mark Aurelius 13 Brian Paul I know Bob's in the house and Benji Toe I saw Alan Mays so many it's all good now a quick bit of warning to my lovely chums who are uh, on the other end of Skype to try and not rustle your mics and things because it sounds very loud in my ear holes Anyway, after this short break, we will be back. Indeed. I mean, you know, no football uh, to speak of, worthy of the comment, really, uh, because we haven't had uh, 
you know, any matches since we were last with you, but we've had a whole plethora of uh, international matches. I, I happened to watch the England game on, on uh, Sunday, and it was great fun seeing them play so well. But we're not here to talk about England. We're really here to talk, you know, it gives us the opportunity an international break, I think, to have a quick reflect on where we are. And, I mean, given that this is uh, Sarri's first season, I think it's a very, very pertinent question to ask. Uh, and I think I'm going to fire the first one at JK, really. I mean, Chelsea and Sarri's you know, start, really. I mean, personally, I think it is better than we could have expected. I, I'd be interested to hear what you think, JK. Well, uh, I didn't know what to expect, really. So it, it's sort of a weird thing, isn't it? Rather than saying he's done better, because you expect a manager that Chelsea employ to do really well, because Chelsea are an elite club, as I keep trying to remind everybody on Twitter. Um, but you'd think that with the, the, the players were associated with that you know, we would pick up any any dross that just happened to be available. Um, but um, so I, I'm, I'm, I think his expectation, wasn't it, was that he's surprised we'd have we'd have done better considering that we've done well, considering he's had to, to teach them all a completely new system. But knowing the players as we do, um, they've won two titles in three years. I, I wasn't surprised. Um, my fear, though, is we're going to get onto this, is that um, uh, we may burn out a bit just because the, uh, the reserves aren't as good as the first team. And um, I think he's going to have to rotate uh, otherwise, they're going to get knackered and fall about a bit with the fall apart a bit with the number of fixtures coming up. But um, uh, I'm, I'm uh, he's he's everything. Um, having done a bit of research on him and looked at Napoli the way they played, um, it hasn't surprised me at all. And in fact, I I can only see the people getting better and better. I'm not convinced it'll be this season, but because um, I think the pressure is really on. But nonetheless, he's. Uh, He's clearly a top, top manager. And uh, if we can get um, some more signings that fit in with his plans, with his blueprint, uh, his template, then I think we'll just go from strength to strength. So for me, it's not better than expected. It's it's what I would expect uh, a manager of his reputation. I mean, all right, everybody was very negative about him at the beginning, said that he hadn't won anything. But um, the way that Napoli had been playing and finishing second, um, uh, in Italy was such that I, I I had great expectations and I haven't been disappointed. And above all, um, it, it's very evident that he is a, he's a mature, nice guy and the players don't feel patronised, don't feel ordered around as they were under the previous manager and this can only get better and better. And he still has that ability to um, to come in and make players improve as well as introducing them to the system. I mean, Ross Barkley's an example, um, except he didn't play wonderfully for England at the weekend. But um, um, I think he's a much improved player. And we can only hope that there are other players in the system that, that he gets to improve as well. Or um, he goes into the, the transfer market. I don't think they'll get many people in January. But um, I think by the end of the season, I think we'll be able to see what right. kind of players just he wants. Stick to the expectations for now. Um but I'm, I, yeah, I take your point, mate. I think it's a really good point because, you know, I don't think anybody, any of us really did know what to expect. Although, on the other hand, as you say, what he did with Napoli was was in, was very good. And I tell you what, I always remember, Jonathan, that what you said to me at the beginning of the season, actually, and, and you said, Chidge, Chidge, for God's sake, Chidge. 
you know, Sarri did brilliantly at Napoli and he's got better players to work with at Chelsea. And I, and I think, actually, that has, that has very much proven to be the case. What, what say you, Clayton? Yeah, I, I sort of echo what you guys said. I, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, we have this this cycle which which just seems to be relentless in its predictability. We have one good year, one awful year. Somebody comes in, changes everything, and everything's rosy again. And who knows what will happen next year? I mean, can only judge from what I've seen. I think the team have done really well because they are playing a completely different style of football than they were last year. Um, we'll come on to the players shortly. Um, he, as a manager, is scruffy. Um, as you <laughs> both alluded to, he seems like a, a really, really nice bloke. Um, a calming influence. Um, but, you know, the, the, the point is, I it's really difficult because you just think about when Jose left and then we had that dreadful caretaker six months, whatever it was. And then Conte came in and the whole mood of the place lifted and everybody said, it's great. It's fantastic. It's so much better than it was, you know, last season. And that's exactly what's happening again. And you just have to take it all with a pinch of salt. I don't know. There seems to be a mood around the place which which is more relaxed and more tolerant of perhaps not hitting the straps because it's somebody new, because it's a new way of playing. Um, so fingers crossed. I think, you know, it's it's all good so far. Other um, than can be expected, none of us knew what to expect. But as Jonathan said, you don't think they're going to employ somebody who's going to basically have you in the bottom three uh, at Christmas. So... It's difficult to, to say whether it's better or worse than, than what certainly the club expected. Mm, good point. What about you, Dan? Um, much better than you had hoped for, or not? No, I think I concur with. No, I think I concur with what the boys have said. I mean, I think the only difference is they've employed a club who has the Chelsea employed somebody who's not won anything, which is a complete sea change from previous appointments. So maybe the club have slightly lowered the bar in terms of what they expect from, you know, his first season. And also, because we haven't lost yet, we haven't really had a, a huge sort of meltdown in the media or social media about a defeat, because it's now almost December, and we're unbeaten. No one has really moaned too much, apart from some of the players, which will come on to shortlist, I think. You know, it's, it's a good start. The, you know, the, the Conte meltdown from January onwards is now, you know, now a thing of the past. I was watching on, um, over the weekend, they had the Premier League from... Uh, Last season, we were second in December of 45 points. It just shows how much we fell in the second half of last season. I, I think this is, he's a great guy. He comes across very nicely. He's calm. I think, you know, very encouraging start. I think, you know, seven, mm. eight out of ten so far. Mm. Wise words, peeps. As always, I expect nothing less from you. See, you know, in, when it comes to expectations... I always expect the most from the wonderful friends that I do this show with. And they, of course, always exceed my expectations. Now, let's have a, a look at uh, who we think is impressed and who we think hasn't. Um, Jonathan, who's impressed you most and who hasn't this season? Uh, Kovacic, other than his shooting, top player. Um does some very good things, works very well with Hazard. Obviously, Hazard um, 
though his last two performances he's not been uh, quite as energised. Um, uh, Rudiger, of course, has been uh, top man indeed. Um, very impressive. Uh, I've liked William, which, of course, uh, I mustn't say because he's apparently hated by everybody on Twitter for reasons that I just don't get. Apparently, Surrey has just said um, he's absolutely perfect, wonderfully skillful and perfect for the Premier League. He's made a statement to that fact, but that probably still hasn't um, changed anybody on Twitter's view um, that, in fact, he will be replaced by... Uh, who's the American? American Pulisic. Pulisic. Yeah. Plays for Borussia, Borussia Dortmund and doesn't get in the first team because... Sancho is playing ahead of him, who all he did in the Amer- game during the week was fall over for America. We, we, al- we already have one of those who falls over a lot. We don't need another one, thanks very much. Um, so uh, um, uh, uh, I'd like Giroud to be given a chance, particularly at the weekend. Um, Pedro's been, um, he fits in so much more into the way that Sarri plays, but he's been injured, which has been unfortunate. Um uh, and obviously Barkley has improved. I'm still not. I'm not completely convinced by Barkley. He's got a very good shot, but he does give the ball away too too much. Um, Kante is a weird one because he's uh, he's still playing out of position. I still think they've got to work out exactly where he goes. And of course the the brilliance of Jorginho, who is quite remarkable, quite a remarkable player. Slightly found out in the first half against Everton, but that's because they put three players onto him. But uh, and what people keep, people, the Everton game, everybody was very negative about it, particularly once again on Twitter. Whereas in actual fact, the second half, we completely bossed and should have won. But there were some strange choices made with shooting and not passing. But yeah, I, 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 I'm very impressed with nearly all of them. Obviously, Maratta has been a big disappointment. Um, uh, and as I say, the, the Kante thing is very peculiar, uh, just because... I don't know where he fits in at the moment and um, unless they can work out a system. Um, but uh, I, I just love the way they play and it can only get better. It really can only get better. And it's quite interesting that some teams appear to be copying them. Um, this press, the press appears to be what it's all about now. The press and getting into the opposition half all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, he keeps saying all the time, we haven't, we haven't succeeded in... It, it, they still haven't learnt it yet, and yet when it when we're occupying, getting seventy two percent possession, and we're in there in the opposition half so much, and forcing them to lose the ball all the time, it's a joy to watch. I absolutely love it. Mm, I think I concur with that completely. Uh, Dan, what say you, my friend? Who's impressed you, and, and who hasn't? Uh, I think Kepper has been really good. He's really been impressive for me. The new goalkeeper. Seems very calm, very assured, great with the ball. Um, I disagree about Kante. I think Kante's played further up the pitch. And I think three of our last five goals, he's had the penultimate pass before the assist. So, you know, OK, he's not playing, you know, as defensive as he has been, but I think he, he's doing OK. He's got a lot of energy. He's always hassling. He's winning the ball further up the pitch. That's the only difference. Under, under um, Conte, he was 30, 40 yards further back and winning the ball. Now he's just winning the ball back. And I think he's, he, he's doing OK. Obviously, we've got the orchestra, the conductor with Jorginho, you know, running in the middle of the pitch, and he's forever pointing and gesticulating. So he's been great. Murat, I think he's showing small, you know, signs of improvement. He's still, he's still got a long way to go, but he's had, he's had, you know, five goals in five games, whatever. You can't ask more than that. Um, Has has been 
pretty much his imperious imperious best. Um, Loftus Cheek's got a bit of game time, which is good. So yeah, it's, it's, there's very there's very few players to criticise. I mean, Zappacosta maybe for his rare European games, but apart from that, I think the whole squad has done very well. Mm, excellent stuff, uh, Clayton. Your turn. Uh, well, they've said everything that needs to be said, really, haven't they? Um, I can. I mean, obviously, I'm really pleased with Kepper. I think Kepper does look the real deal. Um, I think that one player who, funnily enough, didn't get mentioned, who I think deserves a big pat on the back is Marcus Alonso, because he was one of those players who everybody thought was going to lose out because we went from the back five or the back three or whatever with the wing backs to a, a, a flat back four. Um, and I think he's done very well. I think he's been very, um, what's the word? He's been very disciplined. Um, so it's, I mean, it's all been good. I mean, I really, really like Kovacic. I mean, if he could score goals, then he would be worth the 262 million buyout clause, apparently, that there is in, in his Real Madrid uh, contract. Um, can I talk about disappointments? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I think the person who suffered the most um, from the the change in formation is, is unfortunately Cesar Azpilicueta, who it was so immaculate for so long. I mean, I think in his last game, I think against Everton, he actually played really well, but he's had some absolute stinkers, um, which is a great shame. And the one thing that just, I mean, I'm not going to even talk about Morata. I, I fundamentally disagree with what Dan said. I love Dan, but I can't, I can't, the, I, I, we, we're going to come on to Morata, aren't we, in a minute? Yeah, um, which Dan? This point. Dan? Um, yeah, this Dan. Oh, right, right. Dan just said about showing, you know, roots of growth and five in five oh, and right, all the rest right, of it. Right. I, uh, um, anyway, the, the, the thing that, all, that, that just continually, continually frustrates me, and I don't, and I'm just going back to, is William and Pedro. Because I don't know, I don't ever see a complete performance by either one of them. They both make fantastic contributions at given times, but they're both really capable of just disappearing. Now, I'm not, I know it sounds like criticism, but it's more a frustration. I just feel that because we've got both of them, that there, there's this sort of thing in the manager's mind that he's got to basically play one of them for 60 minutes and one of them for 30 minutes, you know, and it's vice versa. And the substitutions are the same every single time. And then if Pedro scores, then he'll start the next game. Or if Williams scores, he'll start the next game. To me, there's just such a lack of continuity. I don't know. I mean, it, it, if the manager thinks that's work and that's what's best, then then fine. I, I just don't think it, it's what we need. I think we need somebody in there, boom, not taking off after an hour and just in there all the time. Or what I actually think um, is going forward with the problems with Morata and with the fact that Giroud doesn't score, I think that maybe it's time to sort of go to the Napoli Mertens thing and just basically have the three boys up front together because he hasn't tried it. 
And as we've said before, that false number nine is going to be a different false number nine to what Conte did because the false number nine with Conte was booting the ball up to, you know, five foot five Eden Hazard, which was a waste of time. I would like to see us do that. Yep. I think, uh, I, you know, we may well do. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Just to, just to quickly, you know, stick my own two penneth worth in. Um, Hazard obviously has caught the eye this season, taken it up to another level, although I think the injuries made him drop off a bit. Uh, Jorginho, I've been hugely impressed by. Um, I mean, one thing that's never talked about, actually, is, is the huge amount of uh, pressure that he must have been under coming in as Sarri's man. Uh, you know, the guy that plays every game is absolutely pivotal to what we do. I think a lot of lesser players would have buckled under that, and especially considering he'd never played in the Premier League before. And the number of times we've gone on about players who look really, really good, come to the Premier League and struggle. I mean, you could write a book about it. So I think when you, you, you factor all of that in, I think, you know, he's been absolutely imperious. And what a player we have got, uh, you know, snucked away from City, for example. So he's really impressed me. Barkley, I think, uh, I've, I've been impressed by his development and his progression. But I would agree with JK. I don't think he's completely there yet. Um, and I agree about Alonso too. I think uh, a lot of people expect him not to play at all. And I think he's still the same old Alonso that we know and love. Disappointments. I, I agree about the inconsistency of William and Pedro. I think it's very frustrating. If one was to be incredibly harsh and a bit like a shouty man talking to his phone... I would say maybe we need better quality, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm not the I'm not the manager, so I'm not going to make that judgment. But I think it's a, it's honest enough to say that they are frustrating. That's the kind of players they are. Um, Kante, I worry about because, you know, while I agree with Dan, I think he's, you know, I think it's a bit unseen the role that he plays, which is to press very high up, which of course he's very good at, um, and I can understand why he plays. You know, you've got to have Jorginho in the middle. Therefore, you've got to accommodate Kante too. And actually what he does is he makes a lot of tracking back to bail us out of the shit when needed. So I, I, I find it uncomfortable not seeing him in the, in the, in the God-given place that he deserves. But I can totally understand that. So I would... And he's a world-class player. And in my book, world-class players should be able to play anywhere. And I think he can. Uh, I agree about Aspie. I think... I don't know why. Maybe it's, it's going back to a, a, you know, a, a flat four that maybe he's suffering, maybe he's tired, who knows? But I don't think he's been his... his he, he's not been at his best, although, you know, uh, an Aspie at 7 out of 10 every week's better than most players in that position. Um, and I think... I absolutely agree about Kepper, actually, and I think in the same context as uh, as Jorginho, you know, he, he's come with a massive, hefty price tag. Uh, and again, lesser players would have buckled under that. He's also quite young, so he's got all of that which is difficult to break into a new team when you're young. And, of course, you know, again, so many players like De Gea. I mean, how many passes was De Gea given because he's young and he's getting used to the league and, and so many other keepers? And yet, Kepa's been absolutely fantastic. I'd say he absolutely wipes the floor with Courtois on every, every aspect. So, lots to love, not a lot to disappoint, apart from the obvious, like Giroud, the fact we don't have a striker that can score goals. And, and of course, Morata... Uh, is in the firing line for that. And I think, you know, aptly that segues into what we were going to talk about. I mean, I just want to preface this, boys, by, by you know, I just don't, I don't want to go into the usual, 
you know, moan about the fact that he can't score and the rest of it. But I was intrigued. Um, you know, last week on last Monday's show, I, I I suggested that, you know, because of his quite petulant display against Everton, I think, it, it, it spoke to me that the guy's got issues that need to be dealt with. And, you know, over and above the fact that he doesn't seem to have any confidence, uh, but actually... There are other issues like his massive, you know, kind of petulant self uh, sense of injustice, which I think he needed to go and see a psychologist about. And lo and behold, four days later, uh, our mate Liam Toomey publishes an article quoting uh, Maratta saying that he has indeed seen or been seeing a, a psychologist to deal with his emotional issues, which is what I was alluding to, and his and his lack of confidence. Um and I have to say, before I go any further, you know, fair play to the young man uh, for being honest about that and, and speaking about that publicly. I know many that wouldn't. Um, and I and I really wish him all the luck. And I think hopefully he's in the hands of somebody who can help him. Uh, and we do get the best out of him. But we have to ask the question, you know, do we think he will cut it? And that's the, the reality, you know. When you when you pay that money for a striker and you, you need a striker who can score you twenty goals if you, a season if you want to win something, the reality is how long can we be patient and can he cut it, Jonathan? Um, uh, uh, I wouldn't bother with him anymore personally. I, I think he's uh, he's um, he can only score instinctively if you give him a uh, you make if he has the possibility of having to think about it he just gets it wrong um uh and i just i i don't think it's worth nurturing anymore i think they need to get a better player or somebody who fits in the system better the sari system i think they should cut their losses and sell him i'm afraid because uh, there's an enormous amount of time and effort being spent on a player who isn't delivering um and uh as you say his it was utterly predictable in the Everton game that after a bit he would fall over and then start criticising the referee because that's the pattern. Um, so uh, I'm afraid I have a very negative view of him as a player. And I think he's in a long line of Chelsea players that just haven't worked. The, and the annoying thing is we have the, um, the first few months of his playing under Conte where the ball was being delivered to his head. I know there's this argument that we're not feeding him properly and he's a header of the ball. But when the ball does come over for centres, he doesn't seem to be able to deal with that either. So uh, I'm, um, I'm sorry, I would, uh, I would dispense with him. I am bitterly disappointed by his abilities, and he is not the player who I thought he was going to be. Mm. Clayton, what do you reckon? Um, not dissimilar to Jonathan. I know that we shouldn't ever look at a price of a player because it's not fair. They haven't been asked to be transferred for that very amount true. of money. Um, but you do actually have to look at how much money we have spent. And it seems to me that when you buy a player for that amount of money, you expect them to hit the ground running because I completely and utterly understand that when you come to the Premier League, it's different. It's very different, and especially when you come from Spain or Italy, where if you fall over, you get a free kick. You don't get that here. Um, combination of sort of less uh, play acting is tolerated and awful officiating. Um, and I think for the amount of money that we've spent on him, we can and should be able to have expected something a lot better 
in 18 months. Now, I know there's the whole Didier Drogba argument about he took 18 months. I don't think he did. I, I think he took slightly less than that. And I do actually think that the thing that changed with him was, again, interestingly, was mental. What we had in the dressing room then was strong characters. We had people like John Terry, Frank Lampard, Petr Cech, who were basically going to say to him, Oi, stop it. I can't see who that character is in the dressing room now who's going to say that to him because I just don't think he's there. I think the unfortunate thing is that he is basically our main goal scorer. I think if there were two other strikers there, you know, all competing and all being used in different styles and all the rest of it, then we could say, fine, let's give him time because everybody else is working around him and we've got X, Y and Z who's scoring, so it doesn't matter that he is, you know, give him time to acclimatise into the club, etc. But the fact is we haven't got that. You know, we've done this so many times over the years, you know, when, when we started seasons with, I think we started one season with Torres and Denver Bar, and that was it. Um, we seem to do this to ourselves. We we put ourselves at a disadvantage. I don't blame the club. The club went out and bought somebody very good or who they perceived was very good and it just hasn't worked. And I, I, I think we need to either get people in and keep him for the foreseeable, but only if we've got other people there. I mean, Giroud's got fantastic qualities, but we need a goal scorer. Midfield is just not getting the goals that it should. Uh, Dan, what about you, mate? Um, I agree to a point, but I just think, getting back to his mental health issues, if you've got mental health issues, and I speak from experience, it can affect oh, your productivity and your output. And we're not all playing front, yeah, or not all paying front to 42,000 people every week and getting abuse upon social media. I think there's absolutely no question the player's got talent. He knows where the goal is. And not all his goals are... You know the the Stoke catch-trick last season when he ran on, ran on, had time to think about it, and you know curved it by the goalkeeper. Brilliant goal, definite talent. January onwards, everyone had a bad time. Conte must have beaten the, you know, every ounce of enjoyment out of the entire squad, so everyone was miserable. Um, I think there's a player in there. I think we'll persevere with him to the end of the season because I think if he can get over his mental health issues, get into a a positive frame of mind. There, there's a player there. I mean, the, the, I was at the Burnley game when he had utter joy when he scored those goals. And that 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 was a player who was happy. That was a player that the, the other players like. You know, I think the guys would agree he's definitely talented. He knows where the goal is. He's got an excellent goal scoring record. He's also only started 100 games in his career. So he's, he's like Drogba. He's 25, 26. He's only now the main man in, in a big club. Drogba took I think you know, he did take 18 months before he hit 20 goals in the season. So I think, you know, it's a difficult one to call because we're at the very top level um, and we need a top striker. And, you know, if we just turn it, turn it back on you guys, who who could we go out and get at that level? You know, a, a top, top striker because I don't think there's anybody about. No, well, as I've said, I keep mentioning Callum Wilson because he seems to be the kind of player that works for me um, and would work in Sarri's system. So working, yeah, working system. But whether he's at that level, I think. I think Neil Barnett said, didn't he, on um, the show on Friday? He's not quite at that level. He's probably got the desire, the hunger to do that because he's come from non-league. But you know, he's not quite top top level. I don't. Yeah, think. but can I can I just say, Dan, 
I, I heard that as well, and I thought that's all very well to say that. But would you say that Victor Moses is at that level? Different positions, though. Victor Moses, no, you no, get no, away but with... It's not, no, well, I, I disagree, because he was integral in winning the league. Yeah, but I think the differences between having a, a wing-back and a striker, two very different positions, you can get by with a very average wing-back, I think, as, as proved with Moses, but where a striker is a different position. You know, Mo, listen, Conte coached Moses and he did, he did brilliantly for us. Um, but I think talking about strikers, they're, they're different ball game. You know, you get a bang average fullback and still win the league. If you've got a, a striker not quite at the top level, you don't you don't win stuff. Well, I think that the mm. difference being is that when we won the league with Conte, it was a team. And, you know, you don't always have to have... Um, top, top players yeah. to do it. But I, I, I think you're entirely correct. I think, obviously, the striker um, is massively important um, position. But, but the point is that, as I said, if we had other strikers there, I'd be more... I'd be happier to let Morata sort himself out because, that, yeah. you know, it's, the, the, the comparisons with Torres are amazing because... Somebody posted on Twitter this week, I think it was a Liverpool fan, showed like loads of goals and say, you know, I really miss this guy. And you looked at all those goals that he scored, a lot of them were against us. And you saw what a player he was. And what used to really frustrate me with Torres was the fact that every now and again you'd see that. He'd do something and you thought, oh, blimey, he's still got it. And then it disappeared again. And this is with Morata. You know he's got it. And, and you're so, so right. The joy at Burnley, not only when he scored, but when the other players scored. He was the first one on them and he was smiling oh. and he was really up for it. And then you got that whinging misfit <laughs> against Everton. Yeah. So, you know, and I... Yeah, go on. I was going to say, I wonder if that's more like a, you know, a European thing, always main referees. Just it's, it's it's a thing you see in the continent all the time when you watch like the league and they always straight the referees face when they don't get things their way. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't like, know. I, like I don't. I don't know, Dan. 20... I, Dan, I don't know, mate, about that. I mean, I, I agree that I think that is something you, you do see in Europe. But I think what I what I noticed and what Alex noticed last week was was something quite different, and and it was a, a real petulance. Now, look, I mean, I, I agree with your central point, Dan. You know, this guy's got some issues, and and I think. It was very revealing, of course, because we, you know, we, we easily forget these kind of things. But, you know, he lost his best mate in a car accident and uh, his wife had a very difficult birth of twins. He's in a foreign country in a new job. It's not going well. He's under a huge amount of pressure. And, you know, that can cause people problems. And, and I suspect he's been carrying that around as well. He's also, I think, very much clearly a confidence player, a bit like what Clayton was saying about Torres. Um so, you know, who knows? If, if he gets some really good help, if he can get his head straight, if he can get his confidence back, I, I agree with Dan. There's a, there's a player in there. The only doubt that I have uh, is that, you know, and this is, this is brutal, and, and, I, and, I, and I feel bad for saying this, really, but at the level that we're talking about, we're talking about a top European club, uh, and your striker, he has to be an absolute bloody killer. He's got to be utterly ruthless and a complete and utter winner. Those are the guys that go and score you 20, 25, 30 goals in a season. That's all they care about. It's unbelievably tunnel-visioned and focused. 
And the only doubt that I have about Morata over and above what we've talked about is, is has he got that kind of mentality? You know, has he got the mentality of that kind of a striker? And to be honest, I, I don't think he has. But I do agree with what some of the chaps on uh, Mixler have been saying, particularly uh, Aurelius, which is that, you know, maybe he would be, um, you know, better with, you know, as, as the backup striker, perhaps, when, the, you know, the pressure wouldn't be on him and he's always got something to prove, perhaps. That might help. Also, you know, his track record at the big clubs, um, you know, I th- you know, he was definitely at Real, wasn't he? And I think he was at Juventus and he didn't make the grade there. And I think that's also quite telling. Anyway, this one will no doubt run and run. But I do I do genuinely wish him, uh, you know, all the best with the issues that he's going through. And as I said, I really hope that the help he's getting, you know, does generally help him. Um, right, we're going to move it on because we're, we're waffling on as we always do. I'm just going to finish this up really by you know, talking about possible departures and arrivals. I mean, it, it seems pretty certain uh, that Gary Cahill uh, has kind of had enough of sitting on the bench. And I think at his age, I can understand that. There's a very good possibility that he'll be off, uh, uh, kind of uniquely allowed to go on loan in January whilst he's only got, you know, a few months left on his contract. Uh, Christensen's been grumbling as well because he doesn't see that he's getting opportunities. Obviously, if Cahill goes, that might alleviate that problem. But, um, Jonathan, do you, do you see any other people going and, and, and do you see other people coming in? I mean, I know that there was this nutty 200 million war chest being floated around on social this week, which, frankly, I, I think is an absolute load of bollocks. But uh, I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you say. Well, I don't see who's available. January's always a very difficult time. You get cast-offs uh, or you get um, reserves who aren't making it into the first team and lots of them are already... Um, if they're from elite clubs, they'll have already played in Europe, so that becomes um, irrelevant. Uh, as, as is this this bizarre um, surge on Twitter for the American guy whose name I keep forgetting. What's his name? Perisic. What's his name? Um, Perisic. Yeah, because the other one, the other Perisic, the was it the one who plays for uh, Croatia? That's Perisic. For, Perisic, who's for Inter, is a fantastic player. Bloody hell, I'd like to get him. He's really terrific. Um, never stops running. Um, uh, but but um, uh, and the other Chelsea players, I think it would go. I think Moses will probably be on his way. He just doesn't fit, and he's even stated that, hasn't he, Sarri? He said that he's not. Um, he's, he doesn't fit into his plans, and I think he's a victim of of becoming a fantastic wing back under Conte, and uh, and has actually lost his ability to to beat people as a winger which used to be all that he did originally. And he was a great player for us when we won the title and he performed wonderfully. But I think he'll have to, uh, I think he needs to go down to a a, a lower level or abroad, wherever, because he's he's not going to get in. Same with Drinkwater. Drinkwater's going to be on his bike because he doesn't fit in either to the system. But Sarri's mentioned that, hasn't he? So I would expect them both to go. Um, Yeah. and who I'd like to go, I'd like Zappacosta to go. I don't think he's up to it. Um, I'm not convinced that uh, Emerson's up to it either. Um, uh, but once again, they're not getting enough game time. I'm disappointed that um, uh, Christensen is keen to get away because uh, I'd like him to fight for his place, um, cause, which is Loftus-Cheek appears to be doing. Um, uh, but I don't think that there's no chance of him going. Um uh, otherwise, I can't. I, I just think it's it's fringe players will be on their bikes. Um, 
Uh, and I'm not stuff, convinced mate. anybody yeah. will come in in the in the, in the January, January window. I'm, I'm not either, actually, because, you know, like I said, we all know this. You don't do stellar deals. I mean, I know that Louise and uh, Torres seem to buck that trend, but generally you don't do stellar deals in January. And I, and I don't think, really, I don't think that's where the club's head at is per se at the moment. You know, I think Sarri's been brought in really to to make the best of what he's got rather than, you know, be another checkbook Pulis like Mourinho was. Um, Dan, what, what say you, my friend? Uh, you Would you agree with Jonathan about who's going out and, and what about who's coming in? Uh, Jonathan, going out, yes, coming in. Possibly four words. There was some talk about recalling Batshuayi, who's only got one goal in 11 games, but I don't know. I think they <laughs> might, might get one or two in. I think midfield will, yeah. Midfield well-stocked. Imagine Cahill, drink water, Moses will go out and maybe one or two will come in, possibly. I, I can't imagine it's going to be a particularly busy window. Because yeah, yeah. Jonathan said there's no one really out there we're going to get. There's no kind of... I, yeah, I, I, I can't really see. I mean, the, 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 all the noises that, that the manager makes is that he's not really interested in the transfer window. Uh, and one suspects if anybody does come in, it's going to be the board rather than uh, the manager himself. I mean, yeah, we desperately need another striker, a backup, whoever. Um, I, I mean, it is difficult to see. It's, we're very well stocked in midfield, but I, there is a possibility that Sesk might go. Um, but he seems to be getting a bit more game time. I don't know. I don't. It's it's really what we want to achieve from the season, to be perfectly honest. And I think at the moment, everything's sort of solid. But, you know, the, the thing is that the one thing about... Um, Sarri, and I think you mentioned this on Friday night, was that he is a bit like Conte. He's got his best players and he doesn't really like changing them very much. Um, I think the defence he's not changing at all, which is fine, but I don't, you know, I still don't feel very comfortable with that defence. I can't put my finger on it. I mean, talking about players that impressed, you know, everybody mentioned Rudiger. I didn't. Uh, That's not because he hasn't impressed. I think he's fantastic. I really do. I think he's just, he's gone under the radar. I think he was a great purchase um, mm. and sort of club doesn't get enough credit for, for bringing him in. Um, I don't know the Pulisic thing or Pusilic or whatever his name is. I don't know. I think it's unfortunate that um, I didn't see any of the England games. So I didn't see the America falling over thing, but he's actually a good player. Um, but then you have to ask yourself if he comes in, I know that um, Hudson Adoy plays on a different wing, but you know he's on the left side. You've got the William, you've got the Pedro. Do we need that unless we're getting rid of William or Pedro? And I can't see that happening, especially after what Sarri's said today. So um, I don't know. It's all very, very difficult to to work out. But I can't see a lot happening. Mm. Indeed, mate. Well, you, you know, as be... always, you know, Sorry. in the fullness of time, it'll all be. All be resolved, won't it? But there you go, Jonathan. Sorry, did you want to say something? Was that Dan? No, I, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, if you, look, you look at William and Pedro and Pulisic, get anything about those two? Is they are the wrong side of 30, so there is, you know, yeah, bring an 18 year old in to replace them longer term, it won't be such a bad idea. No, good mm. point. All right, okay, now, uh, I think we'll wrap that up right there. As I said, you know, it'll all be resolved sooner rather than later, as is the way of these things now. In uh, Parts two and three, uh, we've got the full interview 
that uh, I recorded with Neil Smithy Smith a couple of weeks ago about his book, The A to Z of Chelsea, Where Were You When We Were Shocking? Uh, and Neil's book covers his reminiscences of 23 Chelsea away games from 74 to 95. So basically, if you think if you think it's rubbish now, you should go back then in a bloody time machine and then you'll find out. And in fact, if you read Neil's book, you'll, you will. Anyway, we'll see you in a sec. Only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. It's your uncle Chidge and. Uh, Obviously, you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast, and I've got the lovely people, which is Dan Silver. Hello. And the lovely Clayton Beerman. Good evening. And, of course, the uh, the ubiquitous Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Thank you for that word. How lovely. Lovely. It's my word of the evening, Jonathan. Now, uh, as I was teasing and teeing up a minute ago... Uh, I'm delighted to say that we, uh, we've got this full interview that we recorded with Neil Smith uh, recently, who, who's one of my favourite people at Chelsea. He really is um, an absolutely lovely bloke. Uh, and, it, and he released a book a while ago called The A to Z of Chelsea, Where Were You When You Were Shocking? Uh, and as I said earlier on, it's a selection of Neil's memories from just a few of the now in excess of 2,000 Chelsea matches he's attended. Uh, it's also a look back at some of the occurrences he witnessed uh, in in. In some way, I think you can you can safely say it shaped his shaped his life basically. Um, now his first game, uh, and this is important, so you need to remember this. His first game uh, was at Stamford Bridge in 1966 when Chelsea beat West Ham six uh, two on April the 9th, and uh, he attended that with his older brother Martin. And when he got home after that game, he wrote some words about the day, and it was the start of a habit that, as he got older, became a diary. Uh, now, while there are plenty of books about matches played, individual players and managers, and of course the uh, historical aspects of Chelsea, uh, Where Were You When We Were Shocking gives a unique perspective of following the side from one of the club's most loyal supporters. Now, the book covers his reminiscences of 23 Chelsea away games from 74 to 95, and uh, as I said, taken from his diaries, the, t- the days when Chelsea were indeed quite often shocking. It's evocative, heartfelt, funny and honest, and it goes from defeats at QPR to defeats at Zaragoza via Tottenham, York, Fulham, York, Everton, and even the infamous 6-0 defeat at Rotherham and many more. And he tells it what it was actually like to travel to away games 30 to 40 years ago when heavy police escorts were the norm and real ingenuity was needed to get a pre-match pint. Uh, if you went to football in those days, it will be a real memory jogger. And if you didn't, it will be a real eye-opener whichever this book is a must read and just very quickly you can get it uh, at the cfc uk stall uh, on a match day and of course you can get it from amazon so i, I encourage you to to read it and, and get it it's a fabulous book and anyway here it is neil in his own words right i'm uh, delighted as always to have with me the wonderful neil smithy smith who i've known for a very long time now but uh, not as long as most of the characters in his book i don't think uh, and that's really why we've got him here, because he's written this brilliant book, which uh, I was delighted to read in the summer 
uh, well I say the summer it was a summer holiday that I had in September but who's counting and it's called The A to Z of Chelsea Where Were You When We Were Shocking uh, and basically in a nutshell from my perspective although I'll get Neil to explain it in a minute uh, I mean Neil's been going I think he's done something over 2,000 games over 2,000 games yeah, yeah. That, that was a couple of seasons ago that I just uh, breached that yeah mm. been going since 1966 there we go and out yeah. of those 2,000 games Neil has basically written about 23 of them for the book uh, but they're not just about the football uh, I, I, I'll just give you a quick uh, a quick kind of rundown of some of the games we're talking about which will give you a clue to the title um, but we're talking games like uh, let's pick a few at random that I remember Rotherham 6 Chelsea nil, for example uh, Middlesbrough 7 Chelsea 2 uh, which was Aussie's first game back wasn't that's it? right yeah. the return of the Messiah yeah, right. yeah. Tottenham 2 Chelsea 0 yeah. which was a, a, the battle of the Brit- uh, the battle of White Hart Lane exactly so there's some real famous ones that people will know and then there's some much less famous ones that people won't remember at all uh, like Kilkenny 1 Chelsea 8 yes exactly or uh, Carlisle well Carlisle 2 Chelsea 1 maybe so it's a real smorgasbord of games and I mean so in, Neil in your own words rather than mine mm. you know what, what, what is the book about in a nutshell in a nutshell the narrative is basically uh, my time following Chelsea through these difficult times um, we start the earliest one people said to me why haven't you put it in chronological order because it goes all over the place now the earliest one is me wagging school in 1974 to go to a lunchtime kickoff at QPR in the Cup to bringing it the, the, the latest one is all the way back in 1995 when we lost 3-0 at Real Zaragoza yeah. in the Cup Winners Cup so basically it covers all those uh, seasons when um, success was well minimal really just yeah. but a dream Neil yes just but a dream <laughs> yes indeed so and, and it's about camaraderie and the people I met along the way and the experiences we had along the way. Some funny, some not so funny, some quite poignant. Mm. I think that for me, that's what that's what really comes out about it. I mean, I've always, I've long said, and I mean, it was people like yourself that really taught me that when I came back to the fold. Um, that it's it's as much about the before and the after as it is the match. And then you always used to point out to me, yeah, there's a reason for that, Chidge. It's because quite often the 90 minutes in the middle was not really worth that's talking right. about. That's right, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah. really understand yeah. the genesis of this book. That's so, yeah. good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. But it, but it, but it is a good point, isn't mm. it? I mean, what, what, you know, for somebody who I know, you know, the seeds of the book were really the fact that you've you've written a diary uh, of every game you've been to. That's right. So you've chronicled every game you've been to, and mm. I know, I know that you've written for CFC UK for many years. That's right. And I know that you've written for other people too. So, mm. you know, it kind of makes me think, why is it taking until now for you to write a book? And, mm. and what was the inspiration for it? I think the inspiration was when I realised that a lot of the um, people who haven't been going that long, and indeed people who are just not that old, um, didn't quite get it. Mm. And that, you know, I had to sort of pinch myself to think, what were those days really like? Mm. Now, I don't want to dwell on it, but... Hillsborough, for instance, mm. was an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. And that could have, it, although it was Liverpool, sadly, it, it could have been us on yeah. two or three occasions when you were herded about, treated like cattle. Yeah. And, you know, you turn up in, um, you know, we used to turn up in towns in a car and sometimes we'd book bread and breakfast or a hotel and we'd have to lie about who we were. Because if we said, well, we're Chelsea fans, come up for the weekend. 
you know, we're also going to go to this gig somewhere. Yeah. Quite often they'd say, oh, actually, um, we're full up. You know, and, and that's you know, arriving at Carlisle on a, a normal train, service train, running into the loos, like half a dozen of us, and thinking, if we wait ten minutes, the police will clear off and we can go and have a look round Carlisle City Centre. No. They were ahead of us. Mm. They, they bundle us to one side, wait till the football special comes in and you'll be frog-marched to the game like everybody else in the, yeah. in the chain gang. You know, that, that sort of thing. And I don't think people... You know, I have to, like I said, I have to pinch myself now to think, did we really go through mm. that? Was it really like that? Yeah. But, it, but it, was. it was. It was a different world altogether. Very different world because, of course, it was in the midst of... I mean, you know, football supporters in those days were generally, a, you know like a pariah in society, yes. weren't they? Because the governments were very... That's right. I mean, you know, largely because of the, the, the rampant hooliganism that mm. was going on at the mm. time. But, but you know, then, as now, not all fans were like that. You no. know, there were a lot of fans who weren't into that. No. I mean, Cheltel always tells me funny stories about what, what it was like. He said, mm. following Chelsea in the 70s and 80s, if you weren't into the trouble, mm. was a bit like being a UN observer in Beirut. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always we always tried to avoid the football special trains yeah. if we could, yeah. but they were cheaper quite yeah. often. So you know, couldn't afford yeah. full whack or didn't whatever. you get like green shield stamps? Oh, and or personal tokens, yeah, yeah. you know, to go towards yeah. your, your your train ticket, yeah. you know. But um, you know, in those in those days, you, you did actually when you were on a football special. You would you would have five hundred youths all of about the same age. You wouldn't have someone with their girlfriend or their mum and dad and two children. You know, it was just youths, and that's all there was. And then when you alighted at Norwich or something, you know the you know fair play to the police. There they were with four hundred baying youths off a train. You know, and you know I think I was actually. You know, not being a Londoner, being from out in the mm. sticks, I think sometimes um, they were suspicious of us. You know, you know, if you talked about the game, you know, I thought, well, hang on, we're, we're already talking about when we get to Norwich, for instance, how do we go off round and infiltrate their end? Mm. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was like. Yeah. You know, the ones who talked football were far and few between. So basically, you were in the minority. I think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that, that strikes me, actually, is that, you know, again, unlike now, it's, it strikes me that, you know, the majority of the supporters were actually, you know, in their 20s, early 20s. That's right. Whereas now it's they're all well, we're like, the same people. Yeah, you know, if well, you exactly. took, yeah, you take a snapshot, for instance, at the Chelsea Supporters Trust meeting yeah. the other day. Yeah. Of, who said who, who knocked it on the head and you know nailed it and said, "Look, we've got a cross section of our support." Yeah, and we're all 50, 60, yeah. 70 Above, years. Yeah, old. Exactly. You know, there wasn't many young uns there. You know? One or two, but yeah. very much yeah. in the minority, yeah. which, which tells you how badly wrong. Fo- well, I mean, I don't know. It's two sided, isn't it? On the one hand, mm. I think it tells you how badly wrong football's gone mm-hmm. because where are the kids? They yeah. can't go. Yeah. On the other hand, I think it, it. You know, your generation and my generation need yeah. a massive pat on the back that we're still going. That's, that's right, and you know, we don't know any other way. Really, yeah. you know, some I've known some. We were people. brainwashed a long time. Yeah, and I've known some of my mates who have actually left and uh, done the normal thing, like have. Um, wives and children and then come back mm. you know because they you know what's the eagle say you can check out any time you want but can you can never, never leave. leave that's right <laughs> exactly yeah. right excellent yeah. i might i might pick up on actually no, i'll pick up on it now actually because we're talking about it right now i mean do you i mean do you miss the football from those days i mean the whole thing not just the, the game I, I have to admit dave the players now are supreme mm. athletes you know and and quite rightly so and dare i say it, the quality is what it is. 
I don't really, you know, I, I, I can still taste going and watching Chelsea in, you know, at Preston and places like that when we didn't have a shot on goal in the whole game, you know, things like that. And you just <laughs> shrugged it off and said, right, let's go home, you know. But I mean, that that wouldn't happen now, would it? Because everyone would be all, all over us, you know. But mm. yeah, I, I, I do and I don't. I do and I don't really. I mean, I watched um, recently, I watched a rerun of the 1971 Cup Winners' Cup final in Athens, the second game. And, um, some of it was very laboured, but I looked at players who I thought could still cut it now. Yeah. And Alan Hudson and Osgood yeah. and, and even Ron Harris and John Dempsey knew how to passable. Yeah. You know, even the back the backmen knew how to passable. So but that little bit after the seventies, going into seventy five yeah. and the dreadful time in the second division between about seventy nine and eighty three the stuff you saw, you, you, I just I wouldn't ever want to experience that again because it was just troll. You know, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible. And we were rubbish at that yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Although, uh, I, sorry, yeah, sorry, no disrespect to those players who played no, in those days no. because they would, you know, they, they were doing they, their best. They were doing their best. Yeah. You know, people like Chiff as well, <laughs> and uh, you know, Tommy Langley. People like that ran their socks off. Yeah. You know, for the club, but they, perhaps they weren't. They were at the wrong time. <sighs> That's a really good point, isn't it? I mm. think two things come out of that for me. One is, you know, and to this day, I think you can say this is that well I don't know I think my generation because I'm a little bit younger than you mm. but you know I will always be fairly tolerant of, of, of a footballer who's not very good mm. providing he always puts in 100% for the shirt yeah and and that's what that group mm. did mm. they weren't very good as no, you said they no. weren't the most talented footballers that's in the world right. but boy did they yeah. put it in they always gave 100% yeah. and I think maybe that's why we still love them today no, that's because right. we, we look at that fondly mm. you know mm. um, and what was the other thing I was going to say I can't remember it'll come back <laughs> to me um, look mate I mean yeah. you know I get that I, was, I know what I was going to say I, the, the interesting thing is is that you know I think a lot of people if you excuse the pun are a bit shocked by the title there seems to mm. be because mm. there is a bit of a fundamentalism about Chelsea and how you support the club yeah, now, isn't there? Yeah, you have to sing right. the right songs, yes, yeah. uh, and you can't do this, and yeah, you can't do that. That's right. Well, getting back to the narrative, um, like everyone else, I'm very protective of our club. Mm. And when every time I hear that chant, "Where were you when you were?" Shh, right, shocking, right, shocking. Shh, when we can say shit. Here. Oh, right, we can. We can, okay. we can say shit. Yeah, and not tonight. Whenever I hear that, it, it's it's like red rag to a bull. Because yeah. our, the one thing that was consistent, that support was fantastic yeah. in those days. You know, we had one of the largest away followings, yeah. no matter what. No matter yeah. what, you knew that everyone would turn up. Mm. And I think, to be quite honest, after we'd seen us win a European trophy in 71 and realised that only four or five years later we were in the bottom half of the second tier, people like me thought, oh, I can't take this. You know, we've got to get back up to where we were. Yeah. And yet a lot of my mates had only started yeah. at that time, just thought, well, going to Shrewsbury or, or Huddersfield, that was a day out and yeah. not really bothered. You know, oh, we lost it. So, so what? You know, we had a good crack, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. You know, and because they hadn't seen Aussie no. and, and Huddy and Charlie Cook. Like, as a kid, I had, you know, 13, 14 years old, spellbound yeah. watching those players. And then you're watching a completely different sort of lineup, and it was hard to, it was very hard to ingest, I'll tell you. Yeah, that's a really good point, because as I said, you are a little bit older than me, Mm. so your generation, who grew up watching the team in the 60s, saw them competing at the top for most, well, easily two-thirds of that decade, I would say. That's right. And then, and then see us win the cup, and Mm. then see us win a European trophy Mm. before Liverpool, of course, we Mm. always have to qualify that. That's right. You know, and then it all went a bit Pete Tong, whereas a lot of my generation... 
I mean, the real hardcore lot, like, yeah. uh, you know, Marco and Kelvin, yeah. discovered it, you know, with Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army. Yeah, that's right. And whilst we weren't very good then, no. what, you know, they had this affinity with that team because yeah. they were all their age. Yeah, that's right. You know, and then, I mean, I, 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 mean, I fell in love with Chelsea yeah. uh, from a distance, I have to say, but the first match that got me into it was when we beat Liverpool 4-2 in yeah, the Cup. That's right. Under Ken Shiletto, bless right. his heart. We were talking about it last yeah, week. Yeah. And you know, I thought, wow, that's great. Yeah. You know, who's this team? Oh, that's Fantastic. a good thing, you, you see, know. David. It's interspersed. horrible after Yeah, that. but it was interspersed <laughs> with games like that because yeah. that game you've just mentioned, yeah. the Clive Walker, mm. where he took them to yeah. the cleaners, that would still be up in my probably top yeah. 10, if not top 5, yeah. days at the bridge. And yet it was in... The gloomy times, yeah, you know, yeah, very it, much. It, so. it was a one-off, but well, you know, we had odd games like that. Uh, In fact, yeah. we seem to have a thing about Liverpool that did, whenever yeah. they turned up, we we turned them over. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this club, in yeah, a sense. That's, that's you're right. right; it goes in waves, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. But I think that the, the overarching point that I was going to make was that actually, if, if you look back over the last 50, 60 years, you know, you can only really say, you know, if you if somebody levels where were you when you were shit, mm. then really you would be talking between about seventy-seven. And eighty three. Yeah, that's right. So six years yeah, yeah. out of sixty. That's right. That's not a lot. No, is it? no, that's right. So actually, right. apart from that, we've been pretty yeah, good. Yeah, really. Well, if you go back, because this book finishes in ninety five. Yeah. And basically, thereafter, as soon as, and I mean, we got to the semi final of a major European competition, but thereafter, as soon as we won the FA Cup in ninety seven, we've never looked back, have we? No. There's been, you know, even though Roman came in, what was it, two thousand three? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I still argue this with people. They say, "Oh, the Russian chucked his money," at it, and you know, anyone could have done it. But that wasn't the case. No, the because team was there if for you, him. Yeah. If you go back to the side between, <laughs> say, '97 and when Roman got there, we had we had players who were good enough to win the title. Yeah. You know, watching the likes of Zola, Viali, Frank Leboeuf, Petrescu, all that mob mm. were, were 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 great players. Desailly, you know, I could go on and name World them. Cup winners. Yeah, that's right. And Rude Hullet. Yeah, yeah. One oh, of the greatest yeah, players yeah, of his generation. Yeah, you know. I mean, but then again, as I was discussing with the lads at the Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank do the other night, um, when when people do say where were you when you were shopping, some of them won't know any other. Di- they won't know anything different. No. That's what twenty three years ago, twenty four years ago. So oh, it's been yeah. pretty good. You know, this is what yeah. makes it great for us now. Yeah, is that no matter what happens in my life going forward now, as the song goes, we've won it all. We've won you it know, all. And, 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 I, and I can just take whatever yeah. is thrown at me. But I, God forbid, I wouldn't. I hate it when we are having a a malaise or whatever yeah. where things aren't going too right, which happens every now and then. You know, but no, it's like like, like not winning the title. This y- year. Yeah, yeah. I, I title entitlement. As well, well you know, I, I don't know what you'd take now. I think when I write a book, I'm going to call it title, title entitlement. entitlement. I like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I do remember actually. Funnily enough, I mean, this, this is, I, I've often thought I was a bit of a Jonah actually. Yeah. You know, whenever I turn up in the, in the old days, we would because I didn't go very often. I mean, yeah. when I moved up to London in the kind of mid eighties, yeah. you know, I just never, I never had the, you know, I, I never had the football thing with dad, so I've no. never had that kind of. No. Rites of passage where you get taken every week and yeah. then they suddenly let you go when you're about yeah. sixteen. Like, like like you explained beautifully yeah. in your book, actually. Mm. Um, I would I just happened to find myself living in Lots Road right. or Hollywood Road at the yeah, time yeah. when I was at university, and you know, it, for us, for me, it was the crack. Well, I, I like Chelsea. I've yeah. I kind of support them. You know, yeah. I was always watch them on the telly. You know, yeah. that's and then I would you just would go because it would be oh where can we go and get pissed today and have a good laugh. Yeah, yeah. And and of course you could just go there. That's right. You didn't have to like no, a season no, ticket no. or or you know buy your ticket six weeks in advance. Um, but when I did get the season ticket with Doctor Mart yeah. in two thousand, I think around then two thousand yeah. two thousand one. 
that coincided with the year when we had Ranieri and uh, we didn't spend any money on transfers. Mm. Our, our only transfer that summer, we, we, we signed Kiko De Lucas on a free. Oh, yes. Because we had no money. Yes. And yet we still... I mean, this the point I'm making mm. is we still finished sixth that yeah, year. Yeah, true. So, you know, it's very, very different. Yeah. Anyway, we're yeah. digressing. Yes, on. I know. <laughs> Back to your book. <laughs> yes, um, thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes, I mean, I think, I think one of the things that... I mean, actually, we, you know, I've got these questions written ooh, down and ooh. we haven't looked at them. We've bloody answered them. So we must be very good. Yes. But what I did want to ask you, because it, you know, I can't understand how you've done this, but having been to 2,000 matches, mm. how on earth did you whittle it down to 23? How on earth did you get that? That's a good point, because, I, you know, when David Johnson had said to me, come on, you know, get something down, let's do it. And I thought, I can ramble on. As you, <laughs> I can ramble well, on. Just have. Yeah, yeah, I could ramble on for as long as you want me to ramble on and just pick games out like that Liverpool one you just yeah, made, you yeah. know, just picking them out. And I thought, I need to quantify this in some way. And um, I thought, I know. Just look down at the website and look at games between teams. Hmm. You know, A, it could have been Arsenal, but I chose Aston Villa. And B, and whatever. And I was looking basically for dour games, but games where I had something I could remember about that place or what we did on that day. And I thought, well, I can quantify it. And um, dare I say it, um, a fellow contacted me by social media the other day and said, can't get my head around this. He said, why do you jump from season back to another season then forward to another season? And I said, because it's an A to Z and that's how we decided to do it, which is fair enough. You know, I could have put it in chronological order, but then I, I would have just rambled all over the place, I think. So, you know, just look, and everyone said, well, you haven't got anyone with X. And I said, well, no, we, you know, and they said, it was Exeter, you know, and I said, well, I didn't go to that game and it doesn't begin with X anyway. But it was just a way of, knocking it into some sort of shape and not just going off on a on a, a tangent. But there's know. no J. So I'm not trying to No, here a few people yeah well, a few people said to me Jonas. Well, it, yeah, well, yeah, yeah but we weren't rubbish. We were you know that was you know twenty one nil on Yeah that's right. <laughs> I know I know I've got a couple of I know, I've got a couple of victories in there. Plus I didn't go to Jeunesse. Oh all right. these other games I went to Fair enough. And everyone said, What about Juventus? And I thought well we yeah, did we did yeah. lose there the other season. Robbie. Quite, yeah quite bad. He's got him sacked. Yeah, you know, but that's really in the successful time. Yeah, so yeah. I, I thought, no, I just want this to no, be in the dark, fair dark days, really. Well, I can confirm that it is actually, I've got the book in front of me now, mm. and it is pretty much A to Z. Yes. So well done. Yes. Um, that's why I put Kilkenny in, because there wasn't any Ks. But, you know, on that day, we weren't, obviously weren't too bad playing on a roped-off pitch, you know, in, in like a, in a village, you know, but we won 8-1. But I mean that that in in a, in a sense links beautifully to what I, I want to talk about next. Which, you know the Kilkenny trip, mm. or it might have been the Dundalk trip. Right? Yeah, same weekend. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. But that's the point about that. Mm. That that had absolutely nothing to do with football. No, nothing at all. It was, it was just. <laughs> I mean, how old were you then? Oh well, it's nineteen eighty six. Thirty. 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 Right. Yeah. So you're all all of you are about thirty. Yeah. So that yeah. was that was the definition of a cracking boys' yes. tour, yeah. really. Well, actually, yeah. you know, you're staying in. Probably a bit too old for it, really. Should have been behaving. Too old should have been behaving ourselves a lot better at thirty, you know. Neil, you're never too old. No, no. But it was it was a great time. But it was it was it was you know, as I said, it was a classic boys on tour. Mm. You know, travelling over to 
to Dublin, yeah. staying in that uh, bed and breakfast, yeah, Mrs. McDonald, Mrs. McDonald, yeah, with her with her bacon, Irish and Irish a, breakfast, yeah, bacon and cabbage pie when we got yeah. back, you know, and yeah. seeing us off on the Sunday morning with yeah. bacon sandwiches because we'd been in the boozer too long on the yeah. Saturday night, you know, and the Guinness, yeah, it's a Guinness, yes, yeah. the Liffey water, yeah, wonderful, flowing, and uh, and the game being moved. No, the game wasn't the moved. Game, the, well, well, the venue. The venue. Well, you know, being as green as the grass, we just saw Dundalk v yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea, in fact, in those days, didn't like to let you know that they were playing friendlies. Right. You know, and if you rang them, they'd say, "Well, we, we can't confirm that." Can you neither know, confirm yeah. or deny. Yeah. So you ring someone in Dundalk who you might know, who says, "Oh, yeah, we've got all the posters up. Yeah, you know, yeah, Chelsea yeah. are coming. It's going to be great." Yeah. You know. So what do we do? We arrive in Dublin on. Friday night, my mate gets diverted to Cork and has to get a bus for four hours back to us. We jump in the motor on a Saturday morning and take off up the coast to Dundalk. Yeah. And we arrive there and find that about an hour before kickoff, the game's actually taking place in Dublin, where we've come from, <laughs> which is about 50 miles. And we just looked at each other and thought, well, this will make this. We'll laugh about this in years to come. We'll tell people about it. But it we might end up in a book. Yeah, knows, that's right. We know. jumped in the motor and, you know, avoided all low. You know, we broke every speed in record. And when we got back, we thought, right, perhaps this is the second half. The teams are just coming out. And like a couple of people said, no, 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 it's only just kicking off because um, uh, the referee hadn't turned up. They had to put out a, an announcement for, for a, a third official. And when they didn't get one, Doug Rugby ran the line in the first really? half. He was linesman in the first half. So it just builds, you know, the story just carries on and carries yeah. on. And then, and then the next day we, we motored down to... Uh, Killed Kenny, which was great because they only had one ground, and uh, you know that's where they were playing it. So, and lots of new friends made, and t- yeah. and some of those people are still in touch to this very day, which is fantastic. But there you go, mm. and I think for me that that's that's the beauty of this book. I mean, you know, clearly we all love our football, we all love Chelsea, and I think it's lovely to get a flavour of of you know where we were at these moments of history because in a sense that's what Neil does in this book he kind of chronicles moments in our history he's kind of chosen you know a, a kind of a quite a big span 20 year kind of span 10, 10 20 year span but at the end of the day it's about so much more than football and I think this is something that I've always appreciated that it's not just the football it's about everything else and it's it's, it's the unique bond you get with your mates it's in your case because you go pretty much from one of your first matches, it's about growing up, the whole rites of passage about that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I don't... Um, I meant to sit down the other day and see how many pubs I'd chronicled in there <laughs> in different parts of the country, because yeah. I've named them. And um, again, to this day, we can put our heads in some of them and they say, ah, oh, it's you lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Which Seriously? Is, yeah, yeah, we used to go to Villa by Whitten Station, I think it was the Yew Tree. Mm. The bloke used to put... Um, he used to reserve us a car parking space. Yeah. You know, he used to ring me and say, you're coming up, aren't you? He said, yeah, and he'd reserve it and we'd have a table booked, you know, and this oh, sort yeah. of thing. It was only a little pub, yeah. back, back street boozer, but there were loads of us. Like when my mate Phil Norman lived in Leicester, of course, quite often we were picking him up on the way back and dropping him off on the way. So we'd always find pubs in the Midlands, yeah. you know, and, and, and some, some of them, you know, some of them sort of said, oh, it's you lot again, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it, that, was the, that was the beauty of it. And there were even... Dave, there was even people at those pubs. There was one, we went to Cambridge every year, and it was, I think it was Teversham. And we got in there, and we got talking to this old boy, and he waved us off. And then the next year, he was waiting for us to come through the door and talk about what had gone on in his life in the year, you know. And he wasn't into football at all. 
and we of course we played Cambridge about sort of four or five times on the bounce in that time. Yeah. So we saw this, we saw this dear old fella every time we went there, and it was all part of having a yeah. good crack, you know. Yeah. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. I mean, it, it, people hear that uh, today and probably just wouldn't believe it. And I think the other thing, you know, how does that equate to? As we were saying earlier on, that the football supporters, Chelsea in particular, were seen as pariahs. Mm. You know, lock up your daughters mm. and shut your pubs. Chelsea come into town. Yes. And yet there is another side to that. And I, I've mm. always wondered, you know, even today, actually, mm. I think that this exists. Wherever Chelsea go, you know, we drink the town dry. Yes. We have this ability. Yeah. Because we love, we, I mean, yeah. you know, we love having a good time. Mm. And we love having a drink. Mm. I mean, you know, my, my, one of my favourite trips away these days is Southampton away. Now, it's not just because of the wonderful irony that I grew up down there, yeah. which means I get on the train at Winchester and join all of you lot yeah. on the train, which just, I don't know, it just it's yeah. my sense of humour, it amuses yeah. me. But we go to the, the, the pub down there, most of us go to the same one, and, mm. and we drink it dry. Mm. And then we, mm. we take the pub over. The mm. Southampton fans don't mind, no. because they know we're just yeah. there for a bit of a crack yeah. and a drink and a That's laugh, right. you know. You know, I did tell Shrewsbury in the uh, mm. book, and I remember we... Um, you know, we played there twice early in the season when it was like um, bank holiday, August mm. bank holiday, which was great. But the next time we got them, I think it was Christmas, it was New Year, and the game was only just past fit because of snow. It was eighty six, yeah. and we got up there. And we headed for the normal pub that we'd always go to, and we got up there, and the police were all around the front. I go, no, no, 
locals only, you know, you've got to prove where you're from and, you know, you can't come in here. And we just shrugged and went to walk off. And then we heard this banging at a window upstairs. And this bloke, the landlord, pushed the window up and said to that, he looked out and said, go round the back, <laughs> like that. And he, and he just beckoned for us to go round the back. Because we, we all came in through his back door and he said, ah, oh, these lads drank me dry last time yeah. they were here. Yeah. You know, just like you said. Yeah. You know, so there was, you know, that was beautiful, wasn't it? They put a lot of money in their pocket. Yeah, that's right. And they like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I mean, funny enough, you mentioned... Uh, you mentioned Phil Norman, and, and and you also mentioned Shrewsbury. You know, is that is that the match where uh, you know Stuart? I mean, Stuart and Chris. People will mm. know who've been listening mm. to this show for long enough. Mm. They used to be regulars on the show as the Blues Brothers, That's right. and even Phil has made a few guest appearances. Mm. But of course, one of the Shrewsbury matches was when Stuart was about two, I think. That's right. And uh, did he, I mean, you tell the story. You know the one I'm talking about. Well, I, I suppose you're referring to um, we were right at the front of the stand, right. the old stand. Yeah. And at half-time, um, young Stewie had this woolly hat on with Chelsea. Maggie had sort of darned it into his hat. And Phil actually, um, I think he wanted to have a fag, so he actually sort of just went on the pitch. You know, yeah. you know, can you imagine that? Yeah. Just jumped over by the dugouts yeah. and walked towards the pitch. And the Chelsea photographer was changing ends, you know, because he was sitting behind whatever goal we were attacking. And he took a he took a yeah. snap he took a snap of Phil and Stuart and it was in the match day program right. the next the next is that the one that we yeah, yeah no that is yeah. the one but yeah. also didn't didn't uh, I, the, the other story I've right. heard is that Stuart made a break for freedom oh yeah yeah and he, he was halfway the across pitch. the pitch That's yeah right. half time yeah. yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Run, I mean, running, he had his reins behind him yeah. like, you know yeah. and he'd gone you know and he was halfway across the pitch yeah yeah. Football hooligan at two. Chelsea Agra. <laughs> I think that's what they all yeah. shouted from. Yeah, what, what yeah that's that's like. right. Everyone was seeing Chelsea yeah, great, you know, pitch invasion. I was very, I was very, you know, actually talking about the pubs because I, I remember, you know, two thousand and two, the cup, uh, the the semi final at Villa. Mm. Um, we all travelled up. Uh, I mean, kind of together, but in separate cars. If you see what I mean, and we all ended up in that pub in Warwickshire somewhere on route. Right. I, I remember. I'm sure that was one of the old. Yeah, I know, but I was that. annoyed that when we got near to the ground that day the very pub I mentioned yeah. the yew tree yeah. although he let us in was absolutely rammed it and was, you just couldn't it? get yeah. to the bar and I remember some some uh, locals some young lads yeah. they went down the supermarket and came back with cans and they were like selling you know they were offering you a can for whatever double the price 20 was. quid yeah you know so I was yeah that well, we all went down to that weird student bar didn't we no, I don't know we all ended up there we, mm. we and Martin were drinking aftershocks mm. after the Guinness mm. Mm. I think we decided that we, I don't know why we, yeah. were, we were obviously pissed. Then. Yes, but we had a blue one, yeah. and then we had a red one, and then we thought, why don't we have a purple one? And we made a purple one. Yeah, then we had to go to the game, oh, which I don't remember much. No, of. no. There you go. Anyway, we digress. No, it's great. It was great to see uh, that that Phil and the boys got in the book. They they appear in another chapter, don't they? Yeah, Huddersfield away because yeah. uh, Phil and Maggie had just moved to um, Leicester. I'm trying to think of the name of it, Cropston in Leicester. So, like I said, we always pick them up en route. And, um, again, we, we picked them up, stopped overnight, and went off to uh, Huddersfield in the Cup. Now, Huddersfield were in the third tier, third division, but looking good at the top. And we were in mediocre position in uh, halfway down the second division. And we trailed for one one goal for a long, long, long time. And then Alan Mays, Alan Mays, the legend that is Alan Mays, got us an equaliser you saw Alan May score yes indeed he made it 1-1 and you know we went you know we went mad and and again there must have been 5,000 Chelsea fans there for a, you know a third round of the FA Cup 
you know, where, you know, like I say, we were in the bottom half of the table and the opposition were, you know, in a division below us, you know. But, yeah, we had a good time was had by all from what I remember, you know. That was in 83. Yeah, that was 80, Yeah, so things were going to get better. Yeah. But we didn't know how much better. I think of, uh, you know, there are many people uh, who are younger than me, I would imagine, because a lot of my peer group were, you know, did go, but... Uh, a, a match which seems to resonate with people still today. Mm. People, I think, are very keen to say, <laughs> but what was it like? Yeah. Was the Roth- infamous Rotherham 6 Chelsea nil yes. game, which you do you do chronicle in the book, yes, actually. Yes, yes, yes. In 81, wasn't 81, it? 81, yes, indeed. I remember it well. In fact, it pops up now. You know, I'm a dinosaur, but I've, I do do a little bit of social media now, and it pops up regularly yeah. on there. You're not um, proper Chelsea if you weren't at Rotherham. That's right. It's become like the Sex Pistols gig at Free Trade Hall in right. Manchester. Yeah. There must have been 400,000 yeah. Chelsea fans Well, that's, there. that's what I was going to come to. Yeah. The number of people put on social media, if all the people who said they were there were there, then we would have had 100,000 exactly. there. And exactly. I think, well, no, you know, I'm not going to lie, I was there. And yeah. I think the thing was, and we had another good following because in yeah. midweek we'd beaten Southampton, who were, you know, they were nearly at the top of the division. In, you know, they, yeah. they were second or yeah. third in the first division. And they had that, you know, it was a team full of Keegan and Shilton and Mick Mills and all that sort of thing. And we'd beaten them in the League Cup. So we were really buoyed by that going up there. We thought, ah, oh, this is it. We turned the corner. You know, we're going to really then turn it on today. And when you get there and you're 3 0 down in 13 minutes or something, you know. But it, it cropped up recently. I don't know if you've seen this, that they reckon that the team were going to play a friendly somewhere in the Far East and they'd all had inoculations and. They didn't. I didn't hear. No, I've heard, I only heard it a little while ago, and it said that's why they they didn't you know turn up. They didn't know what they were doing. They weren't they weren't well. Blimey. Yeah, and then someone put, well, when the supporters club coach got back to Stamford Bridge, it didn't stop all the players going into the East Stand and joining in with some Halloween disco or something. So they were well enough to do that. But yeah, it, it is Rotherham six Chelsea Neo is you know, I think I think that's the one that people. The fact that Rotherham are who they are, God bless them, um, it, that, that does shake you. you know, that does shake you. That you know, you have to pinch yourself again to think, did that, did that really happen? That's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, there's another one that really caught my attention uh, in the book, which was the one uh, involving the uh, Ford Escort, the Mexico. Oh, yeah. yes. You know, which yes. was, I think, at the same time, was conveniently... D- design and coloured in the same way as our away kit, you know the classic. That, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, it's right. green and red. Yeah, again, that was the hungry that, kit. Yeah, that was that was Shrewsbury as well. Mm. My good friend Michael, it was his pride and joy, and we we got we were camping. We had two tents, and it was a bank holiday weekend, so we would advance party. Got up there lunchtime yeah. Friday and drank the pub dry, you know, and then he turned up and uh, he wanted to catch up, so he was straight up the pub knocking it back. And by closing time, there was just. One pub at the top of this hill and this windy road down to the campsite, which was about a mile. And when we came out at closing time, like everyone said, don't let him drive. He's got to walk with us. But he jumped in the car with one of the other fellas. But it was easier to do that than walk, to be yes, fair. Yes, yeah. And, and um, we'd been asking um, the location of like nightclubs or fish and chip shops or Chinese takeaways. <laughs> and of course, they just laughed and said, there's nothing like that around here. Yeah, there's, no- yeah. there's nothing around yeah, here. Like, yeah. You know, we'd chosen this campsite from. Someone had a book like the Good Beer Guide and also the Good Camping Guide. So we were nowhere near anything. So uh, he jumps in the car and the, the bloke in the pub had sold us two big flagons of cider and a box of crisps. 
and he takes off down the hill and we're walking like behind and you can see the lights going round and round you know down there then you hear bang (laughs) (laughs) and when we catch up they're in a ditch and he's trying to reverse out and the wheels spinning around and we all look at it and there's a farmhouse there and we're thinking don't wake the farmer up or we'll be chucked out of this village I'm trying to think what the name of the village wasn't there but anyway someone upends a gate post puts it under the wheel arch and moves the wheel arch out and we do the last yeah. few hundred yards back to the campsite and then uh, all go into one tent with a couple of flagons of cider and crisps and we're told in no uncertain terms make any more noise and you're off so uh, <laughs> you know we and we took that on board and you know we Called it a night because we had a big game the next day. Yeah, big game at Shrewsbury. But you say you saved the cider, which is yeah, yeah, very right, yeah, right. Um, kind of, you know, just a quick few questions, really. Uh, yeah, no one I want to read this now. So I've told, yeah, well, I, told you all the stories. No, no, no. I've yeah. tried to be. I've tried to just give them a flavour. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. just tease them a bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but I mean, what, what's your favourite chapter if you were to pick one? If I had to pick one, I think it would be Ipswich Away in. 74 mm. um, we lost 2-0 mm. um, we just lost Osgood and Hudson and a few others and things were really bad and also hooganism was bad then mm. as well 74 was just about as, probably as bad as it ever was and I went on a football special and I just took in the whole day mm. from um, I'm not gonna say, a grammar school boy who's studying for his A-levels is suddenly set amongst some hardened <laughs> like criminals you know <laughs> i hate to say that because a lot of these people now are lovely people. Yeah, best friends. yeah exactly you know <laughs> they served their time and they're, they're you know but my my taste of that when i read that and it's all about going up there on the special and um again like i said earlier everybody talking about how you're going to infiltrate their end yeah. how you're going to break off and then you get behind the guy, I, you know, going. The, the thing that I always wanted to do was just get a good vantage point to watch the game. And I'm at that end, and you look at the other end, and all of a sudden you see it. You know, you, you don't see it now, but, you know, there's disruption, and all of a sudden a big hole opens up, and people are trading punches and, you know, and everything. And then the police are in there, and people are being frog marched around the pitch back to us, being, being um, acclaimed as heroes, yeah. you know. Loyal supporters. Yeah, loyal supporters, you know, and all that. <laughs> And then afterwards, coming back on the train after another dismal defeat, where Colin Vilgen ran the show for Ipswich that day, um, all the talk is about getting back to London because West Ham have been at home, so they might be at Liverpool Street, and Spurs have been at Wolves, so they might be back at Euston. And all the talk is about yeah. what you're going to do when you get back yeah. to Liverpool Street. And I remember thinking, oh, God, you know... Whatever, what what and you get off at Liverpool Street, and you, you just go one stop on the tube, and there's there's you know the, the tube opposite in in the um, tunnel, you could see through the windows, it's full of claret and blue, mm. and they're looking at us, and we're looking at them, and I'm thinking, oh my good god, and then the next minute they say, oh someone's pulled the cord, so we're not going anywhere. And I'm thinking, well, I hope they don't know that someone's pulled the cord and we're not going in. But no, word got round and they were over the top and into really? our carriages. And uh, it was carnage, absolute yeah, carnage. Yeah, I had my head yeah, down, yeah. you know, just, you know, just had my head down, basically, you know. And luckily I didn't, you know, get killed. But it, it wasn't nice. And then uh, I think, I don't know, the advance party then decided, you know, back to Houston and after Spurs, you know. I mean, you know, it was Crazy. a di- different world, Very different, different ball game, you know. I know we're not talking about the football here, but no, it right. was all it's, part no, and no, parcel. No, it was. It was, all, it was very much But that, that was my first taste of 
being a lad. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I was, what, 16, 17 yeah. on a football special. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That kind of weird... Only football in those days could do this, it sounds like, and for, for Heineken, doesn't mm. it? But you, that, that weird mix of... of uh, terror and excitement all rolled into one. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. You know, and as I said, in you know when we when we did the Eddie Mac Eddie Mac book, I wouldn't ever want to go back to anything no, like that. No, you know, no. I was on the tube last week. Just I, I'm going to transgress again, but uh, there was two fathers with their young children, and they had all, everything Chelsea on. You know, half and half scarves mm. and all that. Yeah. And one of them said to one of his kids, um, "Who are Chelsea's fiercest rivals?" And one of them said, Barcelona. And the other one went, no, PSG. And I thought, well, I've come a long way, haven't we? Well, I suppose you could look at it like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to to Mortz in the radio show I do today, and we were talking about the European Super League and what a vast gravy it is. And and I was saying that, you know, actually, to be honest, Barcelona have become a real rival over the last 10, 15 years. There's no getting away from that. Mm. They don't like us. We don't like them. No. That's, we play them a lot. We yeah. win a lot. They yeah. win sometimes. That's a proper rivalry. It's yeah. a proper football rivalry, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. So it is odd, isn't it, how mm. how things have uh, have moved on. So what's your funniest moment, stroke match, that you can remember? Funny, and I'm not funny, not just funny. in the book, out of all, out of all 2,000 matches. My word, there's, yeah, there's, there's something there. I think I think um, probably the whole of that friendly with Kilkenny. Um, you know, Nick Brown, he, Nick Brown quite often on social media talks about how we did a conga across the pitch while the game was still going on <laughs> <laughs> with, with our mates from Glasgow Rangers and Linfield. You know, this was the start of the Blues Brothers, really, in yeah. 86. You know, they did a conga across the goal mouth with the game going on, you know, and um, meeting all those, all those, all of our support in Ireland, I mean, they are funny people, mm. you know, that they, that they had stories to tell me that, you know, that crack me up to this day, yeah. you know, and, I, and I, like I say, there's a couple that I'm still in touch with, but I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I know that's not really a proper game, but yeah, it was funny. It was funny. You can't imagine supporters doing a conga across nope. the pitch, you know. I like that. Yeah. Uh, what about your favourite match and worst match? Favourite match? Of the 2000. Um, favorite match, favorite match, probably my first ever game. You know that, you know that just six two West Ham. Mm. All those players were characters. Every player was a character, and all I knew from that day is that I couldn't wait to come back. You know, I just wanted to come back, and it, and seeing, you know, you can't you can't really describe it, but you know we <laughs> we only had black and white telly then. And to be at the ground and see all the colour, mm. all the blue and white in the yeah. shed, and the team running out, I think someone said, like, snooker balls onto the green bays, you know? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> lovely Although we're not red. But, no, but, but the colour, yeah, exactly. it, it just, it, yeah, I think yeah. that's the first, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But, I mean, that was where the love affair began. So if I had to pick one game, it'd have to be the first one. No, good for you. I think the worst one is in the book. Which is? Spurs away. Yeah. Where basically, basically, they effectively did put the final nail in our coffin, although we still could have got out of it with two games left. But if you can imagine, you know, what we've been through in the last, is it 28 years where they, you know, they won at Chelsea for the first time Mm. in 28, 30 years last, last season that we didn't have a particularly good record against Spurs at that time. And um, there we were both in the bottom three 
and it was like a relegation playoff almost. And we were much the better team for most of it. Eddie Mack had come in and made quite a few changes. He'd brought in, you know, Wilkins and Maybank and things like that, John Sparrow and Gary Locke. But we got beat 2 0. And I know there was only two points for winning those days, but it just put us behind them. And, um, well, the day's events are chronicled in there as well, because as you can imagine, 50,000 odd people packed into White Hart Lane, where you can basically move to any part of the ground mm. you want, apart, well, e- even the main stand had paddock in front of it. So it was kicking off everywhere yeah. all day, you know, and, um, it, it, oh, God, it's. Not only is it, I don't think it's just the worst day in my football supporting life. It's the worst day in my life, basically. Mm. You know, that we came out and thought, not only are we going to get relegated now, it's them that have yeah. done it to us. And I know we've had payback time plenty of times mm. since, but that was the probably worst. The worst ever. You know, and like I say, I didn't even think we looked, we deserved to lose on the day, mm. but they got two late ones, and that was that. Yeah, I mean, oddly, I mean, I would have been about ten at the time. Yeah, and I remember that. Uh, couple of my best friends from school uh, one was a Chelsea supporter his big hero was Peter Bonetti funnily enough mm. he used to have his goalkeeper those yeah, goalkeeper those gloves, black yeah. kind of wrist yeah. and uh, the other was a Spurs fan mm. and uh, the one who's a, who was a Spurs fan his dad took them both up for that game <laughs> as 10 year olds yes and uh, I think they were scarred for life actually. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like I say I can taste it I can still taste it yeah. it was horrible yeah. horrible day but there you go you know. Um, sticks in the craw to this very day. Yeah, no, as it does with a lot of people mm. who, who who were who were around then. Um, mm. All right, favorite player, least favorite player. Oh, don't ask me least favorite. Well, player. I said I, least favorite, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, worst. Yeah, I, oh, I hate that question. I hate that because best the best player um, in this period. Bearing in mind, as you said, Aussie only came back in this time. Yeah. You know, so you you know. He didn't strut his stuff in this time. Charlie Cook was still able to try and keep us up and mm. whatever. So in this period, um, poor Clive, you know, we, we have to thank Clive, Clive Walker for those magical days when we beat Liverpool, you know, in the Cup twice, 4-2 and 2-0 a couple of years later. Um, Clive was our inspiration, I think. You know, we were clinging to who can get us a goal at any time. Mm. And Clive will tell you himself that there were days when he was absolutely shocking himself. Yeah. We only remember like the Bolton comeback when three 0 down to four three when he came on a sudden, turned it round, and also you know, taking Liverpool apart. So Clive, in that time, if I look down these games, I think Clive was one of the best. I think I won't say my least favourite. What I would say is one of my biggest disappointments mm. was Mickey Fillory. Really? Yeah. He he. When he started, I thought, we've unearthed another Trevor yeah. Brook in here. Mm. He had a Rolls-Royce motor. He had a great shot on him with both feet. He could ghost in the box and score with headers. And I thought, he's our salvation. This, this boy can really go all the way. And sadly, at the time that he left us, which I think was the start of the 83-84 season, when Huddy came back and didn't play, um, he'd made the wrong decision to go to QPR. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a big disappointment for me because I, I don't think he did much after that anywhere else either. So Mickey Fillory was a big disappointment for me. I, I really wanted to see him get to the very top. And don't get me wrong, some of his performances were fantastic for a poor side. Mm, interesting stuff. Right. Uh, see, I, I've asked you this mm. not that long ago, actually, mm. when we, I've met you at the stall, but 
is there going to be another instalment? Please say yes, Neil. <laughs> really, I, I, I don't know. My wife said to me, can you do another one which is like, they're, they're a lot better? <laughs> call, call, call it something like, um, I was there when we were pretty good yeah. or something like that. And, and do you know what? I was just thinking last night, because I've heard there's another one on, from somebody else who I don't know. Is it Chadder or something like Chelsea that? Chelsea Chadder's 100, 100 yeah. memorable matches. Yeah, yeah. see, uh, I mean, that. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. You know, because, I mean, the, the good ones are just all over the place, mm. which is like when I had to pick the bad ones, it wasn't that, you know, it was quite easy, really, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, I was thinking about, as all these games are away games, perhaps I might do... <laughs> Our worst home games, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, our biggest home defeats, you know, in that time. And when we were, to, I mean, people are thinking, oh God, you know, cheer us up, you know. But I, I don't know. I, I could actually, um, you know, when I went down the A to Z, there were a lot that just didn't make it. But I do make, although every chapter is one game, I do go off the tangent oh, yeah. and mention yeah. other games. Yeah. You know, I do mention other games as well. So. Yeah, I can't, yeah. Well, it's 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 just a thought. It's a yeah. thought. I might. It's not. You know. I might. You know. I might look to do something. Mate, I mean, I, I I don't think you even need to to put a theme on it. No. Which I know you have with this one. Yeah. Because actually, as I said earlier on, you know, what mm. comes through is that mm. that experience of mm. watching football and what it was like at a certain period in the club's history. That's right. And the stories are funny enough. Yeah. To, I mean, it's a bit like. Life itself, That's you know, right. if you pinned it all on 90 yeah. minutes of football, then yeah. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And I mean, the, the beauty of the book is yeah. that it, it like life, yeah, it's about right. the before and the after yeah. as much. Well, one of the things that the I, I said to my wife, Cheryl, and it's dedicated to her, and I said to her, on the very last page, it's when I've been badgering her at the local mm. golf club to come to a game with me. And she's gone, you must be joking. Her family were all QPR, and some of them were Spurs, you know, which is bad enough. And then she suddenly said, yeah, OK, I'll come. Now, a bit like Fever Pitch with um, Nick Hornby and mm-hmm. his relationship, Cheryl's only known good times with, with Chelsea as yeah. well. We've won things ever since yeah. she came on board. you know. And she, although she doesn't attend games, she's absolutely nutty about Chelsea, everything. She reads everything. She can't keep away from the social media and all that sort of thing. So she, you know, she said to me, um, you know, do something else but make it nicer. And I'm thinking about thinking about that. But then I said to her, don't people realise it's a love story? Because in a couple of the early chapters, I talk about how my relationships always always crashed and burned yeah, because yeah, I was watching yeah. the you know the blues. I yeah. didn't get back in time for that wedding reception, or I didn't get back for that christening, or I couldn't go to somebody's cousin's yeah, wedding, yeah. you know, because it just you know it just wouldn't happen, would it? Yeah, I, I remember actually. I remember that vividly. A lot of those chapters and. The difficulty, of course, of not having mobile phones in those days. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, yeah. Uh, and, and just having to live with the guilt of, well, I'll just, like, yeah. see her next week. Yeah. If she likes yeah. it, fine. If she doesn't, that's well, right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> in my case, Mason did say, cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you go and do what you got to do, mate. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> well, look, Neil, I, I really hope you do do not just one instalment, but mm. many, many more. Because, mm. I mean, for somebody who's got a diary of every match they've been to, and Ooh. they've been for over 2,000. There Ooh. is such a wealth of material there. That's right. Yeah, and I okay. think it... I mean, knowing how much I enjoyed this one and oh, how thanks. good a book it is, it would be such well, a waste. That, that's a good thing. If, if anyone enjoys any part of it or relates to it, then that's great. Yeah. You know, and, I, and, I, and I've got broad shoulders. And if anyone likes somebody contacted me on Facebook the other day and said, what a load of rubbish. Um, well, that's 
a shame. Well, it's a shame. But yeah, but, you know, they bought it. A bit like the, girl, <laughs> a bit like the girls you, you know, yeah, 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 really, yeah. You know, yeah. that's a shame, but that's their problem. No, I'll, I'll, think, I'll think about it, Dave, you know, I'll yeah. see what we can do. Well, you can have a break. I'll entitle you to have a, maybe okay. a year off. And then All right, and then okay, that sounds there. good, yeah. Right, but more to the point, how do we get hold of a copy of this one? It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, but um, obviously I prefer people to come and get it at the uh, CFC UK mm. stall when everyone says to me, where's that? And I say right opposite the main entrance of Fulham Broadway where the half and half scarves are sold next to us and all that sort of thing. Uh, Mark Worrell's always got you know, a supply there. And, of course, we've got our do at the uh, Atlas mm. after the Everton game on Sunday. Yeah, the book fair. Yeah, um, celebrating 200 issues of CFC UK. And a book fair with all the uh, people who contributed to the fanzine over the years and also all the authors who have got their different books, like Tim and Marco and uh, uh, Kelvin, etc., etc. You know, So you'll be able to pick it up if you want to come, if you want to, come to the uh, Atlas on Sunday afternoon after the game. Brilliant stuff. But predominantly we can get it from Amazon. Yes. And we can get it from the stall, yes. CSC UK stall, opposite Fulham Broadway. Say hello to Marco and Dave, and they'll, they'll have copies That's there. Right. And how much is it? It's at the stall, yeah. seven pounds. Seven pounds on Amazon, seven ninety-five. Limey, it's the cheapest mm. chips. Yeah, you can't go yeah, wrong. And, and it's not bulky, so you can you know you can put it in your in, in your coat pocket, basically. Yeah. As you can see, you know it's only thirty-three thousand yeah. words. You know, it costs you as much as a pint and a half. In yeah, today's yeah, that's right. I yeah, know. that's yeah. nothing. No, mate, you've been utterly, utterly brilliant and mm. fantastic. I really appreciate this, and I wish you all the luck with it sell as many as you can because I think it's it's beautiful to, to, to chronicle a bit of that Chelsea yeah. history and yeah. make people understand what it there, was about. There used to be Dave, I'll tell you what, I just remembered this if you ask me what the narrative was it's about the good old bad old days, right, mm. isn't it it's about the good old bad old days and when I first started going to Chelsea and you got in the shed at an hour before kickoff because you had to if you are a kid mm. they used to have this um, I think it was Pete and Dave's pre-match spin where you, you had a, a DJ playing records. And one of the records, when I first went, was by the Tremolos. Do you know the Tremolos? I know, no? I know of them, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Chesney Before Hawks. my time. It was Chesney Hawks' yeah. dad, yeah. Chip God. Hawks, was one of them. Yeah. He married one of the uh, Golden Shot girls. I forget her name now. Anyway, I'm boring you now. But anyway, one of the records I used to pump out was Even the Bad Times Are Good. Soon as I get to you, baby. That's how it went. And someone wrote to the programme and said, that's got to be our record. Mm. Even the bad times are good. I'm plugging the tremolos now. You are. Like, yeah, whoever they might have been. But that said it all Sums it up. It sums it up. The even even then, in the mid-60s, we, we, we ran out and that quite often was playing Even the Bad Times Are Good. And that makes perfect sense, because I think, in a sense, you should, you, could, you, could have, you should have called the book that. Yeah. Even the yeah. bad times were yeah. good. Because actually, that's what this book is really, really about. That's it, right. it doesn't matter how bad we were yeah. on the pitch yeah. you had an absolute scream on, on it, off it before and after yeah, with your mates right. and that's the point that's right there you go yeah. great way to end it that's right lovely okay mate right there we go now what you you, you don't know because I didn't say it in the interview is that Neil has very kindly uh, you know given me a copy of his book which he signed uh, which he would like to give away as a competition exclusively for the fan cast so pin your lug holes back because this is the question Right, you, as I said in the introduction, Neil's first match was uh, Chelsea versus... I forget who it was against now, like an idiot. It was Chelsea versus West Ham on April the 9th, 1966, and we won 6-2. Now, if you want to win a copy of Neil's book signed by himself, 
Uh, I need you to tell me who scored for Chelsea. There were six goals. Who scored for Chelsea? Uh, and if you know the answer, then email me, chelseafancast at gmail.com, and uh, I will pick a winner randomly, and I will announce it on the show next week. So get to it, and uh, good luck to all of those who enter. Right, now, uh, coming up in uh, part four, we've got uh, a few emails for Jonathan to read, and a lot of other stuff too. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football Fancast. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, uh, and of course, it's Stamford Chidge, and I'm joined by Jonathan and Dan and Clayton Beerman. Uh, and uh, jolly good fun it is tonight. Now, uh, very quick shout out. Check out the website, chelseafancast.com. Occasionally, there's some fantastic stuff in there. Uh, there's a couple of people who've got some columns Simon Phillips, Dean Mears. Jonathan writes all of our previews. Go and check it out, peeps. You know it makes sense. Jonathan, emails. Uh, Zach Zahid. Hi, Chidge and the rest of the podders. I hope you're all well. I'm just writing in response to your conversation on last week's pod about the ageing demographic and the issue with atmosphere and lack of ute in the stands. As an 18-year-old match-going supporter, I'm all too aware of the issues with the atmosphere. Firstly, the atmospheric areas of the ground, MHL and Shed Lower, are deemed inappropriate for younger fans to directly quote the club after I once emailed them asking why they have no junior prices in those parts of the ground for Prem games. The club make absolutely no effort in trying to create a new and atmospheric fan base. As someone who goes to all the home games and most aways when I can get tickets, it becomes evident to notice the club do not care who they sell their tickets to. They just want them sold. Therefore, all of the youth who want to go to games are stuck in the family area for Prem games, as it's all most can afford with MHL tickets being £50 a pop. This sanitises the atmosphere as the people who want to get involved in the atmosphere are not allowed to do so. Personally, I cannot stand the East Stand Lower as it has no soul. So I have to fork out a lot of money to stand in the MHL. I have two jobs to fund this. Another issue is that it's incredibly difficult to obtain a season ticket. I've been actively going to most games and trying to build up enough loyalty points to get one for about five to six years and have had no luck. With no younger fans being able to tie themselves down to Chelsea for the future, it's clear to see that something is going wrong. The stewards in the MHL, so I'm getting some noise there. The stewards in the MHL are respectful to all fans and they understand that the large majority of us want to stand up. However, there are a lot of non-regulars who get infuriated by this and henceforth, creates numerous problems. Unless the club change what I've mentioned, there will be no youthful core at Chelsea as they'll be priced out. The younger fans will just be replaced by day-trippers and tourists who are willing to pay the ridiculous prices as a one-off. Younger fans would turn to other clubs like Fulham, who despite having expensive Prem tickets, have a very cheap youth season ticket policy. My close friend is a season ticket holder at Fulham and his entire season ticket 
cost just £48, which was £3 cheaper than my Everton ticket. Anyway, rant over. I have and always will love Chelsea forever, even if it means I can't make it to as many matches. But that is the way the footballing world has evolved into. I'm more than happy to give my perspectives on Chelsea if you have any questions. I also want to say I'm a big fan of the pod and I have been an avid listener since 2014. Kind regards, Zach, usually found in Gate 16 MHL. Terrific. Terrific. This is the kind of thing, Chidge, that, that, the, the information that you should be using and, uh, and Alex should use at the Fans Forum, um, because this is uh, damning, to say the least, isn't it? Uh, Jonathan, it's, uh, it, you know, I, my, God, I mean, I, I was, I was moved almost to tears when I, when I read that uh, email from Zach, because, you know, that could have been uh, the mandate or the manifesto of the trust quite easily. Um, he absolutely nailed uh, an issue that we've been banging on about for far too blooming long. And I mean, it, it's very difficult. I, I know, you know, that, I mean, it's not easy to, to, to answer it because, you know, there's a lot of old farts like me that sit there and basically bed block. Um, and I really don't know what the answer is. And I said to Zach uh, last week when I actually emailed him back and people who have emailed in know that I never reply by email. I just read them out on here. But I felt compelled to write to Zach and say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll take this to the to the meeting that I was having with Chelsea's board last week and. I will let all my other uh, buddies on the on the trust know of this letter because it or email because I think it's very important that they read it, and we keep trying to do something about it. So, what do you make of Zach's email, mate? One hundred percent. It's a fantastic. It's a fantastic email. I mean, the biggest problem with season tickets is so few people give them up. So there's always going to be huge, huge waiting list. But I think what the club could look to do is have you know, different age range to get season tickets. They don't always go to people the most loyalty points. So, for example, if 20 tickets are currently available, 18 to 20, 18 to 20 year olds get three, 20 to 30 year olds get three, and 30 to X get three or four. So it's spread out. They need to really, you know, look at, look at you know, why we still can, the genuine match game, fans, not tourists who come for one game. So it's, it's, it's an important thing to look at because, I, you know, I feel mm. his pain. Because if you know, eighteen-year-old me now will struggle to go to games. I was very lucky that you know my you know, to go for my granddad, and we had two season tickets, and we've continued with them. So you know, always blessed that we go regularly. And it, I, you know, they need to look at you know the eighteen to twenty-five age group, as you've said many times. Our our average age of our fans is the highest in the Premier League, isn't it? In terms of yeah. you know dynamic and so on. So no, he's you know, I hope. I, I hope, I hope we can, you know, as a trust, can put the pressure on the club to do something. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of other things. I mean, I know we, I rammed home uh, the point about, uh, you know, the, there's there's a, a collective will from all the other trusts which we pressurised the Premier League on to, you know, increase the threshold for for youngsters. So, you know, there's a there's a, a move from the uh, Premier League to try and you know standardise it so that there's an 18 to 21 year old or 22 year old threshold I would like to see that higher I'd like to see that go up to 25 but it still doesn't solve the problem of how we get these youngsters in when there are so many old farts like me sitting there uh, you know in a season ticket and have done for many many years and I'm afraid like so many other you know ticketing issues the, the reality is is that this is what happens when you know demand massively massively exceeds supply and that there is no easy answer but 
you know, Zach, I feel your pain, and and thanks for your support and listening to the fancast. It's massively, massively appreciated. Um, and keep in touch with me. Now you know where I am. I'm happy to take up anything on your behalf. Uh, you know, the trust and and beyond. So keep in touch. Uh, Jonathan, we got we've got an email from our old mate, and he happens to be in the house tonight, I believe. Oh, Alan, how lovely, Alan Gavrin. Dear Tidge, Jonathan and the guys, I'd love it if you could do me a favour, give a special shout out to my dad, Stuart Gavrin, who's seen, who has been proper Chelsea for about 80 years. I'll start that again. Who has been proper Chelsea for about 80 years. 80 years, blimey, Stuart Gavrin. I've been telling dad about this weird new innovation of podcasts and that I've found a right old crew of Chelsea reprobates who sit around nattering about our beloved Chelsea every Monday night. Dad narrowly escaped following my granddad in becoming a Spurs fan because grandpa made the mistake of taking him to Chelsea for his first game. Although our family had previously lived in Hackney, they moved to the no man's land of Wilsdon in northwest London. Unfortunately, dad's attention was drawn west rather than back east. When I asked him why not QPR, he looked at me as if I was mad. Dad was one of the approximately 387,000 people at Stamford Bridge in 1945. Yes, I think everybody said they were there at that era, didn't they? For the, I was there. For the legendary game against Moscow Dynamo. For those who don't know, the official attendance is given as... Those who don't know, the official attendance is given as 74,496. But apparently the turnstiles stopped working and estimates are that there were between 100 to 120,000 people there that day. And did you know this is uh, they, they, Chelsea played in red? I had no idea because um, it's all in black and white. They look like blue and white tops, but no, they played in red. My dad was nine years old and said that like many other kids, he was passed down over the heads of all the adults to be at the front. Chelsea drew the game 3-3, a match which has passed into Chelsea and family history. When I was chatting to him yesterday, he also mentioned for the first time that he'd gone to see Chelsea play, at, uh, play a Hungarian team in a friendly this was a new story for me, and Dad couldn't remember the details. But after a bit of Googling, I found that Chelsea played the Hungarian side, Red Banner. No, me neither. And in fact, I know all about it because I used to play Sabutio a lot, and Red Banner was one of the teams that we played, we created. Um, in 1954, drawing 2-2, this was just a year before the magnificent Magyars came to Wembley and thrashed England 6-3, shattering our national perception of invincibility. Dab was there when Chelsea won our first championship in 1955 and at many other notable occasions. Of course, he took me to Chelsea, took me to many great games and events through good and bad times and made me the lifelong fan I became. If I can ever get him onto Mixler, his Mixler name should be I took Ozzy signed my broken leg to get his leg signed by Ozzy. So thanks for reading out this email and for letting me thank my dad for giving me years of pleasure, fun, and more than the odd amount of frustration that we get following our wonderful Chelsea. Best wishes, Alan Gavarin. Aussie sign my broken leg. At Rootless Cosmo. What a lovely email, mate. What a lovely, lovely email. And massive lovely. shout out to your dad, Stuart Gavarin. Uh, what a, he was there at Moscow, mate. I thought you were there too, weren't you? Yes, I was. I was there behind the goalpost. Well, in fact, I think my dad was there. I think he was there. I know. I'm pulling. But I your think leg. he may have been like the 
as he said that he, and I know, but I think like the three hundred and forty-six thousand. I think my dad might have made that up because I was trying to work it out. I think he was still still in uh, Germany somewhere, getting back from the war. Um, but uh, I, he's not around, so I can't challenge him about that. Mm. Where did what, you know? Where did he serve in the war, Jonathan? Who, my dad? Um, mm. He was a prisoner of war for five. Prisoner of war for five years in Poland. Bloody hell. So what, when was captured he, was he captured at, at Dunkirk? 19... Yeah, Calais, yeah, captured Calais. there, yeah. Mar- Good grief. Marched across by the Germans to Poland, yeah. Spent five years just putting on plays. And uh, <laughs> and then he escaped. Did he? Escaped just before the end of the war. When they moved them out, he escaped. Um but I, uh, he told me he'd been there. He told me he was there. But I can't. I can't work out the timing. So. Mm. I very much look forward to hearing the book you're doing on him. I really do. Uh, and we could talk about that all night. But sadly, we're you know time is oppressing. I'm afraid, and we've still got lots to get through. Um, there's a couple of subjects that I'm I'm going to do here. Um, I, it might end up making it a very long show, but I really don't care. Um, because I think they're really worth talking about. Um, and I, I've t- titled this The Americanization of Chelsea Stroke Football for, for good reason. And there's a few things that have happened recently that, that have made me slightly concerned. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this with, with an experience that I had many, many years ago um, when my dad was in Washington. And he, this is about 30 years ago, maybe even more. But I remember him coming back telling me, and, and, and I, I said, oh, you went to see an NFL game? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hated it because he said it was just completely and utterly commercialized. He, he sat there basically as a customer, paying way over the odds for the ticket, paying way over the odds for any, you know, you couldn't take any water in, for example, because you had to, you know, pay ridiculous amounts for whatever they were selling. And, and you know, that's led me to like learn a little bit more about American sports, which are very different from they are here. It's it's more of a franchise culture. It's not rooted in the community like football is in this country, and it's absolutely dominated by the TV agenda to the extent that it's basically become a TV-oriented game rather than a supporter-oriented game. Now, don't kill me yet, Yanks. This is not a dig at you. Uh, it, this is just how I see it. And recently, there's been some other things going on. I mean, you know the the marketing department in their wonderful glory have now introduced, you know, NFL Chelsea shirts. Uh, why? I don't know. Well, I do know why, because they can sell them. It's as, that, it's as simple as that. And then I think, unfortunately, this all got conflated into something quite unfortunate that happened this weekend, which is the Chelsea uh, CFC in the USA Twitter mob, who I think are, are, are basically being engaged by the club to spread the word uh stateside uh, with all the supporters groups out there and, and supporters to grow the fan base which one can understand and they've given loads of uh, Thanksgiving presents to uh, American supporters out there from what I understand and this this you know this has been uh, applauded by the likes of Beth Wilde who's a great friend of ours and uh, ran Chelsea in America for many many years made it really what it is today uh, and basically, they've been rewarding certain, uh, uh, you know, certain supporters who have been supporting the club for a long time or, or have made huge efforts to support it. I mean, I'll give you an example. One of the winners I know, uh, or one of the recipients I know, and that's Chris Bird, who has been listening to this show since it started and um, is an absolutely fantastic bloke. You know, so 
I mean, basically, um, you know, most of the people who receive these, these things are actually worthy recipients. But, and here comes the big but, it has wound up uh, a lot of the match-going supporters over here, or often referred to as the match-going fools on Twitter, but it's wound them up to distraction because, of course, apart from, you know, the obvious, which is we're lucky enough to go to uh, games week in, week out, um, apart from that, we get diddly squat from the fans, uh, from the club, other than a tremendous amount of contempt. So um, it's basically got people's ire up. And, I, and I've just kind of conflated this with a chat that I had with the club last week where, it, where it's very clear, I think, where the, the, the direction that the club is going which is really, you know, pursuing the American model, which is where there are no such things as supporters anymore. We're all consumers. And it's all about trying to market as much stuff to us as possible, sell us as much stuff as possible, extract as much cash out of us as possible. Uh, so the whole idea of a, of, a, of a supporter is becoming increasingly more irrelevant. And also, like in America, the game is basically disappearing up the old, uh, you know, TV orifice. So basically, the whole game is going in a way where the, it's it's oriented towards the TV uh, supporter, not the match-going supporter. And and I'm sorry, but I see this very much as the death of the game I grew up with, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, sadly, I don't know what to do about it. But uh, I would welcome your thoughts. Who would like to have first dibs at this one? Uh, I'll have a go. It's um, it's sort of inevitable, though, isn't it, Church? With the huge amounts of money being play, being paid, and the the fact that the Premier League is the best league in the world because of the uh, huge sums being paid for the foreign players to come and and make it what it is, which is is the best league, because of the competition is so far advanced to any to any other of the uh, the European leagues. So, and I can I can see that they believe that the. Uh, the the American market is is um, immense. Uh, if they can get if they can get, you know that's why I think also this business of the the game being played abroad, which is anathema to all, to all of us, uh, is more and more likely because the Premier League, um, uh, as we know from this latest Scudamore incident, are money obsessed. So. Um, I, I I can't see how we can grab it back, and it, this fits into exactly what uh, was being said earlier in the emails about about uh, all the tickets just being filled up by people who can afford them, who can who want to pay the amount of money. It's it's I don't know how you you retrieve it. I think the the trust plays a fantastic part in this because it gives them a conscience at the club. But uh, drinking that that was really rather lovely. I like that. Um, made me think I should make myself a cup of tea, um, but um, I, 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 I can't see a way out of it. Chid. The more that the world gets narrowed down, the more the internet shrinks everything. Um, the more access America has to the games, doesn't it? They've got they can they can view it at any time. They can they all right. They have to get up at, at perhaps at four o'clock in the morning for some of it, but it means that they become just as much of a of a. a, a somebody to sell something to as as we are at the at the ground but the the advantage we have as we always have which we should always put forward is that i think it was mentioned at one of the other previous one of the other previous podcasts that television producers can't stand empty stadia 
that's the that's the card that we have to play. And the yet the the problem is is the atmosphere is getting worse and worse unless we play a really top notch Champions League game. In which case there seems to be a a buzz about the club. But some of the atmospheres we've had this season in the Premier League have been. You think is everybody a tourist? Um, I don't know. I think. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan's Jonathan's right. I mean, it is inevitable. It's the Premier League. It's not football because this is not what happens in Hi. the Championship and below. Um, uh, football football's not the same as it was ten years ago, and football's not going to be the same in ten years' time. I think that you know we've had this discussion before. We don't matter anymore. The fans do not matter anymore. But empty stadium when England played Croatia. Was it Croatia? It was awful. It was absolutely awful. It wasn't, you know, you can't sell that kind of thing. Um, the the interesting thing about American sport and is that NFL is probably continues to be popular and sells out mostly because there's so few games. I think as an NFL team, you've probably got eight or nine home games a season. Um Baseball's slightly different because you they play 167 regular season games, so um, they str- they are struggling and attendances are down because their their ticket prices are going up and it's on TV wall to wall. I just can't. There there is this is an inevitable, inexorable move towards globalization and that awful bloody global league that they wanted. This is what's going to happen. Mm. Um, I'm really, really sad, but this is what's going to happen. Um, and it's interesting that you should have this topic after that. I mean, I, I was cut off then, so I couldn't say anything. That fantastic, but utterly, utterly depressing email. Mm. What, from Zach? Yeah. Yeah. Not Alan um, Gavron. That was, that was not... No, <laughs> It was indeed. Now, Dan, I mean, you're the you're the overseas kind of you're responsible for the overseas supporters, aren't you? On the supporters yeah. trust, so I bet you've got something to say about mm-hmm. this. Yeah, I think it's just the way the football's going. I mean, I think the club have obviously chosen very carefully the Americans because they are, without question, the most engaging of all the fan bases. You know, Australia second, but they were you know with respect, they're quite a long way second. Obviously, they've got a lot further to go. But the Americans have really taken on board football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's two, three or four different podcasts out there. London's Blue Boys are, you know, are doing it. It's, it's become huge. You see, the, the MLS is now a big deal in America. And um, we, we bit the cash cow and now we've got to you know, deal with it. But, yeah, we don't, I don't like it mm. necessarily. But with all the hoo-hahs going on the weekend with these, you know, these signed shirts and tan cards what would you rather be doing going to Chelsea every week or getting a signed shirt I think we're very very privileged to be able to go week in week out and I have, I have no issue with the club you know sending out nice gestures to, to their fans you know abroad you know what 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 you know would, would you want a signed t-shirt said or whatever I'm much rather gave us decent beer in the concourse because you know little things like that I don't particularly want a signed shirt I don't particularly want a tan card that's what, you know, affordable matchday tickets, decent beer, and that's it. Well, quite take, quite simple you, what we need. That's all you... Yeah, I take, 
I take your point, Dan, and, and, I, and I agree with a lot of it. I mean, and I made that point that, you know, we are privileged. We're, we're lucky enough to go week in, week out. Uh, but there are a lot of people over here who've been priced out, disenfranchised, you name it, that can't. And, and the more, I mean, I think the point about, uh, you know, the Americanization of it is that, I mean, back in the day, I mean, I'll tell you what, if, if, if anybody cares to go and visit my Twitter uh, feed, from today, I retweeted an article written by a wonderful bloke called John Nicholson, who writes for Football 365, who I've known for a long time. Uh, he's a bit bit more Marxist than I am, it has to be said. But it's a brilliant article, and, and it might actually explain to you what this means. And, and what this means to me is that if you have a strategy of selling football to people rather than people coming to football naturally like we all did... Uh, you basically end up chasing your tail because you just have to keep marketing, keep marketing, keep selling, and keep selling. But you're not really, you're not really imbuing a lot of these people that you're selling it to with the culture of support, the tradition of support, and the history of it. You know, I, I would go for any, all three of us would probably still go to Chelsea even if we were playing in the fourth division because it's what we do. We grew yeah. up wanting to go and see Chelsea, and we don't care. You know, you just want to go. But I think if you market the proposition that come and support Chelsea because they're a great club, we win stuff every year. The minute you stop winning stuff, then they will go and support somebody who doesn't who, who doesn't lose and who wins all the time instead. And that's but different. That, but the, and I, I hang on, just hear me out. I yeah, think that, that if if sorry. if you're going to if we are going this way, and I have to say I agree with all three of you. All three of you have made it abundantly clear to me that you know, the, the, the horse is bolted and I'm trying to shut the stable door. And I'll be honest with you, as the chairman of the Supporters Trust, I quite often feel like King Bloody Canute. Um, but I think if we can do anything, it is to instill the culture, the tradition and the history and the community or orientation of, of supporting Chelsea and what that's all about to the new supporters that come along. And here's the, here's the big thing, Dan. And I tweeted this out in defence of the lovely Aurelius, who is in here tonight, saying, you know, there are, there are supporters who get it, and there are supporters that don't get it. And in my experience, I know a lot of people from the States and all over the world who clearly absolutely get it. But there are a lot who don't. You know, there are a lot who would be very happy to see uh, a, a proper match played in the States or whatever. And for me, that's the death of the, fo of, of the football that I grew up with. Dan? Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think the, the American sporting culture is very different to ours because you get that they're franchises... So you can quite happily pick up a yeah, team and move it three thousand miles across the country without. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. That's why the culture of uh, the American fan is very different to ours, and also the culture of our fans have changed from the the 70s, the 80s, the racism, the 90s. On you know the whole the whole football has completely changed in 30 years. The fans are going predominantly a lot more different. The football football has changed in a lot of ways for the good and a lot of ways for the bad. You know, you know, we, you know, roll roll back 30 years pre to now. What, what would, what if you could? What would you decide to do? Would you keep the Premier League gravy train, or would you go back to, you know, sixteen thousand on a, a home on a Saturday? You know, football, football's changed. And, you know, I don't like everything, but I like a lot of it. I don't know what you guys think from that perspective. You know, the, the money has bought some incredible players. It's bought us unparalleled success for the last twenty years. You know, you have, you know, what would you rather have? You know, would you, you know, go back to you know Chelsea of nineteen. 90 or Chelsea of 2018. Mm, Chaps, point, what you say? Anybody, anybody else want to say something quickly? 
I like it. I like it now. Mm. Yeah, I, I like mean, you know, Smith. Now sorry, 1990, va- 1990 values. Yeah. I guess I like. I mean, it now you know, funny enough. Values. Funny enough, Smithy made this point as well. I asked him that question, and you would have heard in the interview. You know, do you prefer it now or or then? And he said, "Well, mate, I'm watching much better players now. So absolutely, yes, I do. But I do miss." what it was like in those days we should move this on otherwise we'll be here all night i was going to give it do a little uh can i just can i just say one very final thing it's just one one very final thing when you're thinking about the old days i know most people who are around and attended a lot of games a season the 84 85 season was probably every a lot of people's favorites but you can't you can't beat success it's fantastic last 20 years have just been brilliant yeah. yeah. Well, I agree with you. I agree. With you, Paul, but the thing is, the, the the thing is, is you can't beat success. But what what is success when you have no part of it? Yeah. No, I agree. I, I just you know. But yeah. I, I well, we are still part of it. I do still feel part of it. But it is going. No, I think it's part of the sense that I think you're, you're, we can't go anymore. Why not? No, I feel part of it because I'm still going. Yeah, but I was saying when Chichester was no longer part of it, I mean, part of it in the sense that you know we're so detracted from the club and the players that we know, you know, like you know, we're irrelevant. Yeah, Paul Canada on the show last week. I'm like, yeah, we are, but that's that's you know irrelevant. We can still we can still go. You know, until we can't go, then it's you maybe it's, you know my backyard kind of side. But I but think, as long I as think I can keep look, going to, and do all I can to make to other clar- people. Just to clarify the point, what I mean by, by you know, I th- once upon a time, when we first went, right, when we all first started going, it mattered that we went. You know, the money that we spent in the club kept the club going. We put our, we put our you know, 50p pieces in the Save the Bridge bucket. It mattered what we spent in the club. Our, our being there or not will not make a flying difference to the existence of the club anymore. And they have absolutely ramped it up to the extent where... You know, they've moved on. They've moved on without us. I've, I've, I've long felt that they tolerate our generation in there, but they're just waiting us to, for, for us all to fuck off and die so they can replace us with people who'll spend more money in the club. Anyway, that's the final word on it because we do have to move yeah. on, and I want to quickly talk about Joe Cole. I mean, Christ, we could do a whole show on this. It's just amazing, isn't it, the subject matter? But anyway, Joe Cole uh, retired last week, uh, and I just wanted to say very quickly you know what a what a lovely guy he is how much pleasure uh, and joy he gave me watching him play uh, but any of you look what were your favorite memories of joe cole jonathan um the goals he scored against spurs in the 4-4 for me when he was at the height of his powers uh, a completely phenomenal performance from him and uh, he was never quite the same after his injury, um, but uh, a completely superb, superb player for a period. Always slightly under pressure from Mourinho, unfortunately, for not doing what he wanted. So he always felt he was a kind of um, a slight uh, prodigal who hadn't quite got it right. Always a slight bad boy. Um, but there was that period when he played for England, when he was the best player in the World Cup when he was completely phenomenal. Uh, I felt for him in the following, in the double year under uh, Ancelotti because he was constantly being subbed and he just wasn't playing well enough because he'd been injured. 
but um, uh, a, a brilliant performer, completely brilliant footballer. Clayton? Well, I mean, just going off piste, I think one of the best things that he did was um, persuading Eden Hazard to join us. I think that's a very good answer, yeah, mate. I think that's a super answer. Well, no, I was going to say, and of course, he's dead to me the minute he joined Liverpool. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a bit harsh, you know, but uh, I, I can understand. No, it's, it's also, it's also, it's, no, it's also a joke. I Listen, he was he was a fabulous player to watch. I mean, if anybody loves football, watching Joe Cole play, irrespective when he played for West Ham, when he played for us, when he played for England, um, and I would imagine even when he played in America and played for Coventry, you know, those players are so few and far between and they're so skillful. And somebody posted something on Twitter last week when he scored and he looked about 12 years old. He was playing for West Ham. Just a great player. Um, but, yeah, my my sort of abiding memories uh, are just great fondness, and and whenever I hear him talk now, he just sounds like such a bloody nice bloke. Mm. Dan, uh, what about what say you, my friend, about Joe Cole? Yeah, I mean, great player. I mean, the goal at Arsenal when he won two nil, when he he brushed Loren inside and passed it to the net, uh, the main United goal to. Um, to give us the title. But personal memory, very weirdly, um, when we played Sweden in the World Cup in 2006, the day the game was actually my dad's funeral. And my friend texted me, going, you know, Joe Cole scored goal for your dad. And he scored that incredible volley into the top right-hand corner against Sweden in the World Cup. So that kind of memory, you know, bittersweet. But that, you know, he was a fantastic player, so skillful, so talented. And the story about the number 10 shirt, when he um, he took the number 10 shirt from Veron. I don't know if because yeah, yeah. uh, his dad said if they're, if they're telling you lies now they'll tell you lies down the world and he got the number 10 shirt from the wrong but no Joe Cole great player really great player pleasure to watch him can I yeah, sorry I, I forgot one thing yeah, yeah. which is possible can I just say one thing Shij yeah the pass that he played for Drogba's goal in Valencia is possibly one of the greatest pieces of football I've ever seen mm. that was a fantastic mm. pass mm. Right, okay, guys, we should move this on. We've got to go. Uh, some of us need to go to bed. Uh, so, just our usual little bit of shat-hats, as we like to call them. Uh, uh, CFC UK, much mentioned in the show so far tonight. Um, of course, you can get it at the stall on a match day or from any of the sellers on a match day, home or away. And, of course, you can subscribe. If you can't get CFC UK in person, uh, you can always get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net and if you're in the us of a you can follow the twitter account at cfcuk usa and if anybody is interested um you can uh, get a cfcu copy a proper copy from uh, dan lundberg on twitter at d lundberg patreon don't forget if you like what we do you can become a chelsea fancast patron and help us cover the costs of running two shows, three shows a week sometimes, and continue to produce what we believe is a unique podcast on Chelsea. Uh, it's very easy to do. Just donate whatever you want per show or per month. It's easy. There's no pressure. You know, whatever you want, seriously. The fact that you do it all fills my heart with huge emotion. Uh, anyway, it's www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea 
fancast and of course you know you can always send us a message on there because i do pick up the messages on my phone there so i can always have a chat with you or you can contribute the show by asking questions or anything you like really it's uh, up to you entirely uh quick plug for the supporters trust um you know make sure you uh, to get your voice heard whether it's listened to or not is a moot point having discussed what we have tonight but uh to get your voice heard, it's free to join up to be a member, but if you want a badge, a nice shiny badge, and be able to vote and attend meetings, then it's a fiver. Five pounds a year. You can sign up at chelseasupporterstrust.com and you can attend the meetings, come to the events and vote on the issues that directly affect you. And make sure you get that voice heard. And you can follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. Uh, and finally, last but by no means least, the wonderful Chelsea pitch owners. If you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, Go and buy a share in Chelsea pitch owners who own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea Football Club will remain playing football at Stamford Bridge. Now, to find out how to buy a share, email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners and follow them on Twitter at ye old pitch owners. Or in fact, just as at pitch owners. No, no ye old in there at all. But anyway, you get the gist. Right. What a blooming big show it's been tonight uh thank you uh for everybody who's listened it's uh, i'm afraid all we've got time for tonight we will be back next monday to report back on the spurs v chelsea match i'm nervous already uh, and as ever i will be joined by jonathan uh, plus the wonderful tony glover and liam toomey so uh there will be some reason in amongst all the madness one way or other i i said to the people i did the show with yesterday that i will either be euphoric next uh, sunday or in the pit of despair uh, it will it'll be one or the other uh, now talk yeah talking of other shows um obviously there'll be the kerry dixon show with me and kerry previewing the spurs chelsea match on thursday and then on friday do not forget to tune in to chelsea fancast on love sport radio between seven o'clock and nine p.m with me jonathan and i'm delighted to say dan silver back with us doing a double shift this week and uh, of course aaron paul and we'll be talking all things chelsea and looking ahead to the spurs match on saturday and don't forget the best thing of course is you can phone in phone us up and you can join in the show and debate with us live uh, and the number to call is 0208 70 20 558. there you go that's 0208 70 20 558. Uh, and of course, Love Sport uh, is on 558 AM and it's on your digital radio channels and uh, you can listen to it uh, through Radio Player or TuneIn or at their website, which is lovesportradio.com. And uh, the show is available as a podcast shortly afterwards, as are all of our shows on uh, chelseafancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify and other well-known podcast distributors. And finally, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Dan at DanSilve73, and Clayton at Goalie59. And of course, as I said before, check out the website, ChelseaFancast.com. Right, that's enough from us. Uh, I just want to say to all the boys, what a brilliant show tonight. I really enjoyed it, in spite of the technical shenanigans that we've had to put up with tonight. I think you've all done very, very well. Uh, well done, Dan. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah, Dan, I'll see, you uh, I'll see you on Friday, man. Yeah, look forward to that. Clayton, always an absolute pleasure. Uh, Clayton was recently voted on Twitter, uh, although these are not binding, as we know, but he was voted on Twitter as the most popular person on the Chelsea fancast last week, weren't you, Clayton? 
It was a radio show. It wasn't on the fan cast per se. Well, it's was all that by, the same. Was that by Mrs. Beam in 59? No, no, she don't want yeah. me to be on it. No, oh. I think he basically oh. said that he thought he I he said I, I was his favourite on the Love Sports Show. I think he's my favourite on the Love Sports Show, which is a really lovely thing for him to say. Um, well, and which well is good deserved. to know that the money I spent wasn't wasted. Who's that, Aaron? Was that what that, uh, no, no, it wasn't no, Aaron. No. It was somebody else. Clayton, as always, it's been an honour and a privilege to have you on the show, as always. Jonathan, you're a loon and I love you. What more can I say? (laughs) Oh, I'll quote you. Thank you very much. Mate, I look forward to seeing you on Friday as well. Should be a humdinger as always. As always. Yeah, good stuff, boys. Uh, Really enjoyed it tonight. And last, by no means least... uh, Thank you to the lovely people who have been uh, sitting with us for a long time in Mixler. Always great to have you here with us. I love reading your comments, even if I don't get a chance to uh, to read them all out. Anyway, great stuff. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chels. Up the Chels! Up the Chels! It's the 90th minute. All your mates are round. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.